what did you produce and how did you end up making alchemy i was i was 30 and mm-hmm. i was i'd been working at the bbc for maybe sort of five six years i'd i'd uh been promoted quite fast you know i'd made some really good films they'd done well i and i and i and i had some great great bosses there who really appreciated me and i was doing nothing to do with islam or my culture or anything like that i was doing mostly history and art and things like this documentaries um, yeah documentaries i made things in maria callas on opera i, I had no idea about opera but i learned you know and yeah. made films like that and um my mother died you know she was young she was 53 and she uh, died of cancer and uh, I stood there, I dug the grave, I went into the grave, I buried her with my brother, and um, it, every veil was lifted. Every possible veil that Allah could, li- could lift for somebody was lifted. SubhanAllah. And you, once, when you see that, then you can't go back. You can't go, you can't go back to not, not seeing that. Mm. And um, the, the next thing that occurred to me was the shortage of time. Mm. that actually I could leave the graveyard, be hit by a car and be in the next grave. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Sufina Society podcast. Today we have a solo and I'm with uh, Naveed Akhtar. Uh, Mr. Naveed Akhdar is is my guest today, and he is the founder of Alchemia.com. And Alchemia, well, not .com, that's the name of the website, but Alchemia is basically, I had a friend, and I, my, my friend was Mas'ud Khan. And Mas'ud Ahmed Khan is actually like a legend in terms of the traditional Islam uh, history in the West, because he started out something called the Mas'ud Khan website. And that website a long time ago was the only place you can get articles on, you know, what we call quote unquote traditional Islam, which is, you know, the Madhabs and the Ash'ari Aqidah and, and, and Tasawwuf. And he was basically, he had Sheikh Nuh and Abdul Haki Murad and Hamza Yusuf Murabat al-Hajj translations, all sorts of articles like that. You can only get them at his website for like a good few years. So he's sort of a legend. So he reaches out to me and uh, I answer. And he tells me, listen, there is this thing that I'm working on. And I'm like, what is it? So I type in the website. As soon as I look, I'm like hooked on it because of the graphics. I got to tell you, it's the graphics on this site are so crisp. And I think it really did sort of uh, catch me, the graphics of it. It looked like a lot like, um, like Netflix in its ease of use in the scrolling through the films and everything. And it was also just so crisp and so clear. And so, um, you know, tasteful, the graphics of it, that I ended up uh, going through it. And he sort of gave me the back end and I started actually watching a couple documentaries. So Alchemia is, it's basically a a documentary and a movie site, uh, similar to Netflix, that uh, they've put together, uh, targeting a Muslim audience. So the founder is with me and he's uh, taken out time out. His name is Naveed Akhtar. And he has a background in media. So, uh, Naveed, uh, welcome to the program. And the first question I want to ask you is, tell us a little bit about your, your background in media. How did you get in? What, firstly, how did you get in? Did you, did you study to get in? Did you just be an intern? You, you know, a guy like Ken Zimmer, I mean, he's not media, but he's music. But 
you know, he never went to a music college. He never did anything. And he just interned for a guy. And then after hours, he would use the equipment. And then one day he showed, he said, hey, listen to this. I made this after everyone left. And then he just went up, right? And then up again and up again. And he became who he became. So how did you get in the business? How did, and what did you do, et cetera? Well, salam alaikum wa rahmatullah. Salam I'm very honored to be here. Thank you so much for uh, uh, taking time. I, re- I really appreciate anybody who takes any interest in what I'm doing. Um, how did I get in? Well, I come from a Pakistani Kashmiri family, very similar to Masood. Um, not, not very, my father was illiterate. He in, in fact cooked uh, Pakistani food in London and he came, he, he was one of the pioneers. So he came in 59, very early wow. on when there was hardly any restaurants here. Wow. And I was born in London in 67. So my early childhood probably was one of conflict. It was basically trying to be brought up as a Pakistani kid in a, a corner of London, in East London. And, uh, you know, and when I got to the age nine, I went to, uh, I was taken back to Pakistan. It was this sort of immigrant thing of we've made our money, five-year plan, we're going to go back. 15, 20 years later, we go back. So I had a year in Pakistan um, where I learned a lot. I went to Moscow, I, you know, kind of... Uh, just got sort of really dipped into the culture, improved my Punjabi, all of that kind of stuff. And when I came back, I guess I really sort of was always thinking about this idea of how I live with two brains. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know what multicultural was. I didn't know what diversity was. These words hadn't been invented. And uh, so I I always suffered as a teenager. I had very uh, sort of miserable teenage years because Mm -hmm. of, you know, and and these are now very familiar stories of really, you know, wanting to be out playing you know football and things and instead of having to be at the mosque on a nice sunny day <laughs> all of that kind of usual stuff and so i i again i, I actually studied design i just always had a thing for the visual and so i studied design and i would have had a reasonably sort of trajectory to become a designer in terms of you know sort of uh, architecture and design but when i graduated there was a terrible recession and one of the things while i was on the course was i i realized i could write quite well and so I got better marks for the analytical aspects that they teach you in design. In particular, they do a history where you write things. And uh, what, what, what encouraged me was that actually that suddenly the door was open in TV. They were looking for people who could actually make sense of this identity. Mm. And so one of the first pr- things I did was I went off to make programs about um, Kuali music, which... Mm was something I'd grown up listening to. You know, my, it was like a, a central core. My family come from a Chisti, Chisti Kadria mm. um, tradition. And uh, that Chisti tradition, the older I get, you know, the, the, in lieu of the scholarship, there's two things that they believe in, which is food mm. and music. So the music, the music brings people's, changes people's hearts. And uh, there's a, the, the sama, the sense of, you know, the, you, you call people in. And of course, the food also just, it's, it's a necessity to serve people to do that. If I can ask, who are the main uh, Kowali? Because I, all I know is Nusrat. Yeah, well, it, this right? is it. I mean, I remember <laughs> Nusrat was my Elvis. And yeah. uh, you see, I, I used to listen to Kowali at home. And what happened was that um, 
he, I never took it very seriously, you know, and, I did, and, and obviously when I came back from Pakistan, I understood a bit of it better. But then there's a, there's a legendary Radio 1 DJ who actually, this guy, you know, whatever he played, he defined culture, mm. so youth culture. So one night he said, Nusra Fatih Ali Khan from Pakistan. <laughs> oh my Next God. thing you know, Nusra's like, you know, wow, did you, wow. Did John Peel played Nusra? And then he was like, you know, <laughs> and then so, and then uh, Peter Gabriel, who was like, you know, it's great rock legend. He invites Nusra to come and play in England at the WOMAD Festival. And, um, oh, wow. you know, so Nusra sort of, you know, he sort of, somebody said, oh, Nusra's playing in our local, community centers we go off to see go off to see Nusra I'm 17 you know yeah and um and then then Nusra's been signed up by Martin Scorsese to come and do music for the passion of the Christ you know so it's like my mind was blown you know and actually at that around that time that's when I I sort of was able to write stuff it got picked up and then uh, somebody said look you know we're doing a debate on tele in television you know about are you are you British? Are you Pakistani? Are you whatever? You know, mm. and um, so off I went to the television studios for the first time, and I just and then I saw people. I thought, wow! I just thought this was like such a different world, you know. But yeah. that somebody like me would have no access to. But there were other other people like me with brown skins working in television, and so I I made friends. I spoke to people, and uh, after I couldn't find work in design, it just seemed like a natural progression. And at that time, the BBC were about to do a uh, they, they had a whole division for school programs that they used yeah. to make for schools for schools to watch and so they did a four-part series called pakistan and its people and somebody i knew was uh working on that project and uh i i kind of I, I said look i'll hold your bags i'll do anything and i i got i got onto the project and mm. we traveled around pakistan you know and we made this program it was meant made for 10 year old kids mm. um, to teach them about the, the but what was amazing was actually there was nothing contentious in it. It was all of it was positive because it was just yeah. showing actually for 10 year olds, look, look how wonderful this country is. Mm. And the guy, I remember him, Peter Evans, who was the director of the program. I said to him, what made you choose Pakistan? And he said, well, me and my wife, we couldn't have kids. And about 10 years ago, we, had, we, we were visiting, we knew some people in Pakistan, we visited there and we actually adopted the little girl. Mm. And so over these 10, 15 years, I bring her back to Pakistan so she can be aware Mm. where she's come from what her cultural heritage is all of these kind of things and so when the opportunity came i i thought you know why not make a program about pakistan because i love it and people don't understand it Mm. and i really kind of got how much power that you actually had at that time that you could do that and i didn't really know anything about it but that's actually what what led to me so the first first programs i ever made were really about what would be at that point and this is even really before there was a strong sense of a muslim identity emerging in the uk we were we were happy to be called Asians. We were sort of, you know, Sikh, Muslim and Hindus together. And uh, there were programs made for Asians. And of course, within that, um, there would be Bangra music or Indian food or you name it, you know. And so I, I sort of cut my teeth there. And one of the jobs I had was with a, a, quite a legendary guy called Tariq Ali. And Tariq Ali had, again, been very prominent in the anti-Vietnam marches. He was a student at the LSC. And so he was one of the few people who'd come here and managed to break through into mainstream society as a person of color, as a, as a person who came from Pakistan, but he was a Marxist <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he, he was like, you know, have to he'd written hundreds of books, you know, kind of completely like, you know, the opium of the masses, you know, so you're very anti-religious, but, but at the same time, the year I went to work for him, which was 1992, it was the, it was the 500th anniversary of 1492. And mm. of course he, despite his communism, he was 
passionate advocate of Islamic culture, ideas, you know, civilizations. And mm. he hated the imperialism of the West, as it were. And so he wrote this book called Underneath the Pomegranate Tree, which I highly recommend if you can find a copy of it. Mm. And it describes that last period of Granada, of Al-Andalus, mm. as it's about to fall. And that, of course, is a significant thing about uh, uh, 1492, that it was the last year before um, uh, uh, before the Muslims were expelled. You know, as it were. So tell me, um, it was a lonely period of time. And, and I grew up in South Jersey, uh, New Jersey, uh, southern part mm. of Jersey. Well, not really southern, but it's called South Jersey. Uh, with like literally three Muslim families in the town, maybe yeah. four maximum, right? And one Muslim friend in the town was, didn't even go to the same school. So I sort of have a flavor of how that loneliness, like it's like you know that your part, your origin is some far off thing, mm. right? You don't even know much about it. And then when you find a book about it in the library, it's a big deal that it's even recognized that all this is before 9-11. So the 9-11 generation, anyone who grew up with that at the backdrop, they're familiar with Islam getting attention, positive or negative. But I actually remember pretty much going through my whole teen years getting zero attention, having mm. zero overlap between the culture that I live in and the culture that of, of origins, right? Yeah. And so I remember that, and that must have been a really lonely time. And it must have been totally like um, almost a life-altering, completely life-altering, the fact that Islam started getting all this attention, right? Yeah. After, you know, at a certain period of time. But so that w that's the one point that always uh, comes into my mind that I always try to tell my kids and, and, and youth and stuff that you don't, you don't understand that there was a period of time nobody was paying any attention to us, right? Yeah. And, and I remember one time walking in the Marshalls uh, and I, Marshalls is a store that we have and walking with my mom and we saw a woman in, we saw hijab walk past in one of the aisles. <laughs> we almost like had a heart. We ran. I, like they, I'm, you would run after the person to discover yeah. who they were because there's no such thing as seeing another Muslim in the store. Right. Yeah. So, and you probably have all those experiences too. And yeah. so that was a time that believe it or not, it was, there was some nice things about that time. I wouldn't ever want to go back to that time, but mm. there were some nice things about that time, right? When that feeling that if you saw another Muslim at the street, you would make sure that you knew who they were, right? It yeah. was a big deal. But anyway, that was something that sort of triggered that memory. Mm. The other thing I wanted to ask, you go to college for design. I love design. I'd never been educated in it except through my own ways of reading biographies of designers and reading art criticisms, mm. um, particularly of, you know, little things that can be assessed. Their success can be assessed, uh, assessed like logos, for example, yeah. uh, fonts. Like, I like that because there's a scoreboard to it. My thing is, you know, of course, outside of the study of Sharia, growing mm. up, it was sports and yeah. design right? It was art, the arts and sports. I was going to go into either one of those. And alhamdulillah, Allah guided me to something. And, and I hope that everyone loves their job, right? And alhamdulillah, I love my job. I would never trade it for anything. But the w two things that were my personal interests that I would spend literally hours on were was either sports or design. Now, the thing that brought it together was logos and fonts. Yeah, you can keep score. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you can see which one succeeded. Right. And yeah. which one didn't. And so when you say so, my my concept of design is very basically like 
you know, ad hoc, my own way. But sure. when you say study design, what does that exactly mean? Like, what's the first class like? What's going on in this? Yeah, I, it's interesting what you're saying because you know, a guy from Jersey and a guy, where I'm sort of like the equivalent of Jersey, where I yeah. live, the sort of edge of the edge of London, the last stop on uh, the underground, as it yeah. were. Which, the, which the, stop? Uh, Walthamstow. Oh, okay. Walthamstow, yeah, yeah, big Muslim community here as well. But it's it. What's interesting is that this, uh, what was aspirational was. To, to be either a sports person or have a cool job yeah. and a cool job was design. That was a yeah. cool job, right? So you, your trajectory would have taken you to Madison Avenue, right? Yeah. And for me, it would have been Covent Garden, something uh -huh. like that. Yeah. And so, they, so, and um, in particular, I was around a lot of people who, well, I was around parents who were like, look, it's accountancy. It has to be accountancy. And we my, you know, my wider family had grocery shops and yeah. some of them were like, why, why do you want to study? Why do you want to get a degree? I mean, you know, look, we're going to have these shops and yeah. we, we need people here. We need cheap staff to work here. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I think what happened was I, I basically just, I did, the econom I did an economics and uh, accountancy course and I just couldn't follow it. I just yeah. had no interest in it. I dropped out. I did a bit of soul searching and then I went, and then when, when I studied design, it actually was commercial design around um, buildings and, you know, stores and supermarkets and malls and all of that kind of stuff. So it was very much sort of structural, three-dimensional, but it involved a lot of training, visual training, understanding how things work, what, you know, materials, ideas, depth, all of that kind of stuff. And so also at that time, I learned a lot about, you know, popular culture and what, in, what influences design. So, you know, from graphic yeah. design from the 50s to the 60s. I mean, Mil Milton Glassman just passed away. He did the I Love New York, you know, logo. Yep. So yep. all of these are kind of iconic things. And of course, all of us sort of, I, 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 you know, I had a, an Apple computer in 92 where yeah. it was a difficult thing to work. <laughs> they yeah. weren't very easy to use, you know, but it's it like was, to look at it. Right? <laughs> yeah. But it was also this idea that people understood what, what Steve Jobs was doing, how they yeah. were. And, you know, if, if today you hold up, you know, the most significant object of the last century, it's this, it's, yeah. it's, and the so, guy who designed this, Jonathan Ive, he's from my neighborhood. Wow. And, he, and the most significant thing about this is this curve. Mm -hmm. He actually worked out what is the right uh, degree angle of this curve. Of and the, that's, uh, that's, yeah. yeah, of the iPhone. And that's what makes it significant. That's yeah. it. You know, Which is and, the corner curve that, that yeah, the corner, cor yeah. Yeah. So, so my, so my, 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 uh, education. I mean, I got a, 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 a BA honors in it, you know, um, and it's quite rigorous. It's three years. And, you know, I, I did a dissertation, which looked at uh, a, a school of art called the Pre-Raphaelite School of Art, which was prominent in the 1880s. And I looked at their influence from Islam, how they had been influenced by Islamic architecture and Islamic mm -hmm. ideals and bought and absorbed them into their culture. And uh, so I, and I got a first for that. And they said to me, look, you're probably more academically suited than you are practical designer. And so oh. I would have done that, but then I just was looking for opportunities and long came this, uh, this chance to write. And actually that is really, to answer your question, that, that's the common mistake at the moment. People feel if you want to succeed in media, you've got to learn how to edit, you've got to learn how to shoot. And they start to make it very, very technical. But the, the great institutions of HBO and the BBC and Discovery and National mm. Geographic they're built on thought. Writers, yeah. They're built on an analysis. They're built yeah. on people who can articulate. I mean, we had a great conversation with Mustafa Davison on Saturday, who, you know, Muslim filmmaker, he's now out there teaching and he's shocked at how few people read in our community. Yeah. And, 
so you know you're not going to succeed it until you've read Shakespeare until you've read Chaucer until you've read all of these great classics because they defied and then you know you can go into our own classics there's there's this fantastic literature all from Iran Persia Pakistan and it's all been translated but what it is is it's that the principle of telling stories yeah and that's actually what the what what, what is the success of why these uh, cultural uh, beam offs across the globe, you know. So a Disney film is made in California and then watched globally all over yeah. the place. Marvel achieves that because underneath it, behind it, are these, you know. I mean, so many stories are based on Homer's Odyssey. You know, the mm -hmm. idea of you leave home in search of your destiny and what where yeah. it takes you and where you back end up. That whole paradigm of the hero story. And so actually, that that's what I mastered. I learned that, and uh, and then it was the second thing is information insight. Mm -hmm. I had personal insight into the lives of certain people, of a community, of a culture, and that's what I was able to do, unpack that for the, po the people watching, you know, and make that more interesting for them. So, well, um, does that answer your question? Were you, you know, sort of... Yeah, I sort of get uh, these, yeah. uh, how it is. And, and a lot of uh, artists, the, you know, they go to design and then they have to work, they have to earn a living. So I have a friend of mine, he went into this and, and I said, oh, did you, did you do it? He was really good like, uh, at stuff. And he said, yeah, yeah, I got a job. I was like, wow, what is it? He said, well, I have to design the app for medical conferences. I was like, I, that's, that's the result? I thought you got some kind of exciting job. He's like, yeah, this is horrible, right? Yeah. Another guy, he said, yeah, the, um, the, when there's a toy, he said, I got a job with um, Mattel or one of these toy companies. I said, wow, you make toys now. You're designing the toys for the kids. He said, no, I'm actually designing that plastic, that, that the shiny piece of paper that's folded up that comes with the toy that's behind the toy, right? You ever see that? <laughs> He's like, that's what I designed. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, not, this stuff is not all, the, uh, when you have to actually earn a living off it, it's not exactly always that exciting. Another yeah. friend of mine was also doing instructions, designing, I was like, that's not design, that's, you know, uh, so, what I find is two things for these designers. Great designers are also dreamers and pragmatists, right? They're great dreamers, but they're super pragmatists as well. So the greatest designs, I think they're not just things that uh, are, are on the wall. That I, can't, I actually personally cannot stand that. I remember uh, young, my mom was at a medical conference we end up going to the Museum of Modern Art and I just can't stand the idea. We went to a lot of museums. My dad was a big person on, you have to go to museums. Yeah. I cannot stand something that's just sitting on the wall. I can't look at it. But my, my perspective is that the best design is that which is involved in life, right? Mm. Which is even what you said about like uh, the movie companies, how does a story touch a human's life? It's yeah. not just about taking a great angle of a shot or a great, whatever how does it touch your life so what you said about the iphone it affects your life it's part of your life right yeah. so great design to me it's a dream it's a dream mm. that's our in a story and a dream that that is emotional that touch that is tri uh, articulated into mm. something that touches your life whether yeah. it's a documentary or a movie that affects a person's life because they sort of see their own journey in that yeah. right or they get inspiration from that or it's literally just like a tool right like computers and phones were just tools of nobody ever thought that artists should be involved in that right yeah. they're just tools uh but so it's it's where this pragmatism 
you know, me to dream. That's really mm-hmm. where the arts hit the home run. And that's yeah. really what changes, I think, changes societies and civilizations is when, it, or you really affect societies. As you yeah. said, the most important tool is, you know, that, uh, and also one of the most important pieces of art has been by Apple, right? They're in, they're right. mentioned by artists all the time. And they're also mm-hmm. mentioned by inventors and business people. So it's the dream meets the practical everyday life. That's really where, and I think that's where your, even your company comes in, where Alchemy. Well, com- well, look, you're now taking this conversation to something which I hardly ever get to speak to anybody about. Yeah. And is a great omission in, in, in the, I think in the conscious of the current of the Muslim today, you know, and that is the, the, the sense of the spirituality of creativity. Yeah. So what, what, I, what I've been through, my journey is in terms of, um, I, I, I've come to Islamic spirituality later, mm-hmm. you know. So I just had a kind of a common or garden Muslim upbringing, just the basics, right? Yeah. And then I kind of drifted off into my education. My education, the roots of that education, the roots of what you would call contemporary design mm-hmm. is sex drugs and rock and roll yep right that's what's inspired it this turned up after the war mm-hmm. and they bottled that into an attitude and that attitude produces the kind of you know stars and stripes on a raffler and sure it produces you know budweiser beer bottles it produces you know cherokee jeeps it produces Paul Smith suits in England with those mini cars with the Union Jack on top. It produces Japanese culture, Italian culture, you know, Vespa scooters. So, Mm -hmm. but, but when the roots of it, we get to is they call it sex, drugs and rock and roll. And what sex, drugs and rock and roll symbolizes is fast, crazy, mad, out of control. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why as Muslims, we've just moved to the side of it. Okay. Because we dominated the design world. Mm-hmm. We still actually do dominate the design world. The most wealthiest people in the world, right? Whether they're up on the Upper East Side, whether they're living in Kensington in London or in the West, you know, Left Bank in Paris, wherever they are, those houses will have a Persian rug, mm-hmm. you know, at the center. They'll have Turkish or Moroccan tiles in their fireplace. Mm-hmm. They will have silk cushions from Uzbekistan, you know, embroideries. They'll have pashmina scars from Kashmir. They'll have, you know, uh, uh, Rumi on their bookshelves. They'll have, you know, falafel and hummus in their fridge. Yeah. And they define their lives as the life of the pursuit of excellence. Mm-hmm. They want the best of type. Yeah. And they have that. Okay. Mm-hmm. They don't have polyester and nylon and <laughs> they yeah. have, they, and, and they, and they value that. And they, and they, they know they can't better that. That's the yeah. best it can be. It's been, perfected to its utmost beauty, mm-hmm. intense beauty. And so I, I, I thought a lot about this. Look, I've been trained in this kind of mad, crazy, it's this, it's that. And they use the word in design a lot, it's sexy. It has to feel sexy, right? And I, what's that got to do with anything? But because actually what they're trying to do is stir a feeling in a certain part of your body. Mm-hmm. When you see this thing, you have a physical feeling in your body, normally in your loins, and that, that will it prompt you to do something. It will prompt you to buy it or want to possess it, et cetera. So then I started to look at the Muslim aspect of it. And actually, when you start to rank the kind of top layers of creativity in Islam, without a doubt, Mulana Rumi comes at the top. You know, mm-hmm. you can go to Patagonia or somewhere in South America. They're reading Rumi. 
Yeah. They have no idea he's a Muslim. They don't even know what Islam is, but they're reading Rumi and they're moved by that. Okay. Mm. And then you can start to rank all of these things. And if you rank things like the Blue Mosque, it ranks higher than the Kaaba because we, the non-Muslims can't go to the Kaaba. Mm-hmm. But a non-Muslim, I've seen them, you, sit, you just sit by the door of the Blue Mosque, you watch them go in, they'll adjust their sarong, they'll uh, you know, cover their head, they feel uncomfortable. But when they're in there, they bang. Yeah. Jamal and Jalal simultaneously At the same time. Yeah. and they, they start crying. You'll see them moving tears from their eyes. And the power of that, it's just, it, you know, it's a physical experience that they're getting. It's visual, but it's also yeah. all senses are impacted on. And that's why also my interest in Kuali music, the first few beats, wherever you are in the world, you know, before it's Allah, 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 you know, before that, it's just this drumbeat that brings people in. And you can carry on with food that we produce with, I mean, those beautiful hats they make in Yemen and, you know, in, in Oman and all this sort of intricate work. Well, so actually, ours is not sex, drugs and rock and roll. Ours is mm-hmm. just this universal beauty, but it's everlasting. It's yeah. everlasting. It can get to be a millennia old. It can be 2000 years old, but people still see the beauty in it. And what then is our job is really to explain because what's, what it's motivated by is love. Yeah. And I think that people, it's human nature. All this culture stuff is human nature. It's, you never escape it. Human beings have to make things. You have yes. to make things, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you make well, things, well, it's functional. We need them functionally. We need yeah. them to work. We need we need them as tools. Yeah. And then on another level, it's it's a desire for us to express. Our souls cry out to want to. You yeah. Know, people did it in the cave. Pour it they out. Pour yeah. it out. You know. And, and w- when you make things, you you're gonna make what you know, and what you know is what you feel, right? Yes. And what you how you view the world, and and like you said, their loins. The, the, the culture of the, the artists our art and design has been dominated by that sex, drug, and rock and roll generation because that's the feeling they know and love, right? That's their escape from after World War II. Was, that was an yeah. escape. A lot of people were depressed, yeah. right? And yeah. so that was an escape for them and children were reared upon that backdrop as well. So it went to that, well, human beings are just always producing themselves, right? And they're producing the feeling that's inside of them because that's what they know. And that's what they love. And they want to put that in something else, right? They, whether it's a cup, whether it's a plate. If you look yeah. at, I mean, the, uh, a plate from in the, these museums, but the plate has like, there's Tawheed in the plate yes. in the sense that you always find this concept of everything pointing to the middle, right? Yeah. Or everything coming out of the middle. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whose heart did that? Someone who yeah. believed that, well, this universe is it's one, it's one universe, has one source. And you never had a modern art in the sense of Jackson Pollock, right? You never had that coming out of the Muslim world where it actually just is intentionally showing the lack of unity and the lack of any purpose or even technical. Like I see like in the back behind you, like in the picture, I see you have one of these Moroccan geometrics on the other side. Yes, Um, yeah, yeah. That Moroccan ge- ge- geometric and the Turks have that, their version and the Persians had their version. Yeah. What it tells you is that, number one, there is a unicity to everything. There is a togetherness of everything. However, there's also a technical refinement to everything. And I think that many people, like uh, Muhammad Zakaria, the calligrapher, he said, freestyle and modern just means that you did not have the patience to get trained. Because... <laughs> that drawing that you have behind that, that yeah. took so much 
technical knowledge, mathematics, mm. practice. Like you can't make that in two years. You, you have to spend like 12 years with a master to learn how to do those techniques. The 10,000 hours. Uh, the 10,000 hours. 10, and people yeah. don't want to put 10,000 hours anymore, right? Yeah. It's so much easier to do what Jackson Pollock did, which yeah. is just throw the paint on the thing and then write a long paragraph about the emotions. But yeah. the... Uh, but but look look how much it's changing. Look yeah. at hipster culture. Yeah, mm -hmm. they look like us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I meet I meet hipsters every day. And I assalamu alaikum, and they're like, Yeah, I know. With yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, I also sorry. You know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, they got, I, I, they, I couldn't tell. Yeah. Well, it's not just that, but the homespun clothing, organicness. Yeah. I mean, now locally, people are putting ten thousand hours into being a barista. You know, I know I understand <laughs> the right bean. I understand this. Where was it harvested from? Yeah. So actually, it's we're coming back to that because we've we've maxed out on technology, and mm -hmm. suddenly everything's plastic. Everything's kind of yeah. killing us. Everything's swinging. And people are like, hang on a second. There was a time when people did things with their hands. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest real, the biggest killer on the planet at the moment. The number one disease is stress. Mm -hmm. The biggest solution to stress is. Do stuff with your hands. Yeah. Stop thinking for a bit, you know? Yeah. And so all of this, I mean, absolutely, you, 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 you bang on there. It's, and, and I think actually, I think we're almost at the end of that phase. It's, it's sort of COVID, uh, the ecological crisis, so many things are killing off. And, and it, you know, toxic capitalism, it's sort of the last stages now yeah. you know, of that. And, at, and in the end, what, what it is, you come back to what's lasted, what mm -hmm. has lasted, what has been truth and continuity when i was at the bbc one of the films i'm very very proud of is actually a film i made on the samurai sword mm -hmm. and so i did a we were i worked on a six-part series called uh, decisive um, weapons mm -hmm. and the idea was that these these weapons had changed the outcome of a war that the technology had arrived at the right time and so we did things like the bayonet in the first world war and you know the tank and uh, in fact, I did the P P fifty one P forty one Mustang, P, mm. you know, which actually was a, 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 an American airplane that helped yeah. uh, help the Europeans win the Second World War, and it was a long range uh, fighter. And so one year, I said, "Look, I'd like to make a film on the samurai sword." Mm -hmm. And uh, so for that, I got sent off to Japan. I was very lucky, and I met there Master Otaki Sensei, who was wow. at that time eighty years old, wow. and he was considered to be a master of the pen and the sword. So he was a master calligrapher and a master swordsmith. And of course, he said, look, you know, when I was a child, they, those were the last of the samurais before it had completely died out because it, they, they had been restricted with their military traditions, with their martial traditions. Everything had been like, you know, like stopped for them. And mm -hmm. so he, he showed me, um, you know, his sword moves. And he said, here are these sword moves. There's five or seven sword moves. You start when you're seven years old. And when you get to his age at 80, you, you considered that you've perfect, you know, you, you, you're still perfecting those moves. And I thought, that's a lot. Subhanallah. It's, <laughs> it's the repeti repetitive. Repetitive repetition. thing that get, you get better at as you, you get just, older. Yeah. Subhanallah. You know, Subhanallah. And you just so keep they, doing it all your, all your that's life. That's what they do to a de-stress, right? And every, everything I saw about his life, it, you could see here were people who had uh, a sharia, uh, they, you know, they had, they had all of it. They, they, they just didn't have, um, they didn't have the Shahada. That's what that yeah. was it. That they, was had, it. They, they, had, they had everything else, you know, and sometimes you come into the Muslim environments and you think, Hey, we've got, we've got the Shahada, but we're missing yeah. a lot. <laughs> we're missing a lot of the other stuff. They were just living, he was living this kind of incredibly, you know, it, 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 the, it was just very attractive, very yeah. attractive. And, you know, and when we come back to talking about the plates that you see in the museum and stuff like that, yeah. 
of course, next to that plate can be, you know, a, a, a sort of a French-inspired plate, that, plate that's got gilt and gold and flourishes, and you know, and there's a, there's been designs like Versace where everything's gold, and it, you know, and instantaneously, it's repulsive to us. Yeah, it doesn't reflect. It's repulsive. All, yeah, and yet you see the things which are earthenware pots and clay uh -huh. and organic. Yeah, that's just our. It just it just You know, and it's like. It's almost as if you 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 nourish yourself from the pot, which is the earth, which you will also go back into. You know. Well, you well you feel that you can relate to one, and everyone can relate to this earth. Yeah. And like I have one of these, which is like an earthen cup. Yeah. Uh, it's actually someone said that's made from the mud of Medina. The wow. that's the company. <laughs> Mashallah. But when yeah. you see that, it reminds you of your past because, and even if you're a modern person, because you know that this is this is what's accessible to all human beings. Whereas that over-the-top uh, luxury gold or whatever French style of Baroque, yeah. it's like, you guys didn't leave a thing. Who can live like this, right? Yeah. It's so far removed from reality. Well, it, it's artifice. It's artifice. It's artifice. Yeah. It's layers. And our whole journey, and in particular, if, you're, if, you, if you want to follow in any tradition of Sufism, any tradition of the soul, it's to remove those yeah. hypocrisies and those artificialities and that sense of the authenticity. And of course, you know, you have to get to the age of Yoda, Master Yoda, before you can even call yourself yeah. it, that you've come anywhere near it. I and, mean, you know, you kind of think about it. It's like, you know, I'm at that age where I'm now grumpy old man, right? So <laughs> I'm not really like, but, but I, I, what I've got to look forward to if Allah gives me that life is I'll be, I'll be loved old man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because it, all the all, and Rumi says that all the iron all the crap gets ironed out of you and you, you yeah. just get better and then you know and and I know I have some old men I, who I love I love these yeah. old men you know yeah. if I I just like I think of them I start smiling I want to kiss wow. them I want to oh what can I do to sit next to you and it's because what I get back from them is nothing but pure acceptance and love you know it, just, it, our path is incremental and it's like peeling layers from the onion and certain layers can just cannot be peeled when you're young. Right, it, you're it's, blinded by your needs, your ambitions, your yeah. desires, your lusts. Yeah. Only when you get older, and you that which makes you actually look forward to getting older rather than fleeing and having a midlife crisis when you're older. Because because we have spirituality, it's incremental. Slowly the lusts go away. Slowly the envies go away. Slowly, and Allah starts to treat the person differently in the sense that you prayed for forty years now, right? Allah's yeah. going to give you certain rewards that you weren't earning before, mm -hmm. right? So there's like a loyalty situation, uh, a reward there, and which change, which which makes us view uh, age differently. So therefore, mm -hmm. even when we view, if you, we were biased towards youth, yeah. this would impact everything we did, right? If we were yeah. biased towards youth, when we're biased towards age, it gives us a spiritual, and it's probably why artificial religion fails, because artificial mm -hmm. religion, it's it ha it, there's no depth to it, right? Yeah. Now. When you said, uh, going back to something that you said earlier, the classic, some, we always go back to what's classic, right? Mm. Because when we try something and it fails, we have to go back to what works. Now, the, the ultimate greatest thing uh, in, in all of art, design, everything, is story. Mm. Right? If you want to summarize it in one word, it's a story. But the story, if you think about it, has a few principles that can never really be waged war on or else you will have no story. And I think maybe, maybe there are writers that are trying to go against this grain. And I'm going to list off three things that I think every good, a great story has to have. Mm. And the stories that lasted have these. Number one, 
unicity. You cannot have a story with five themes going on, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the audience has to focus on one thing, right? Mm. Yeah. Usually a person, right? Secondly, there's hierarchy. In my story, I cannot be giving equal attention to two different characters. Mm. My attention it needs to be put on one character. Let's say there's a supporting role and then a tertiary role and then someone who's like funny who gets like 10% just to lighten the mood. But what is that? That's a hierarchy, right? Yeah. Number three, there's got to be good and evil in a story, right? Yeah. You can't try to sell me a story where I don't know where my loyalty exists, right? Mm. You cannot have a, a, an ambivalent, a morally ambivalent story, right? Like what am I rooting for here? And you have to have a beginning and an end. That's mm. a fourth thing. You cannot be wandering around, right? There's got to be a beginning. There's going to be an end. When we go, when you look at these things, these things touch greatly upon, these, these are beliefs. Mm. The existence of these things are actually beliefs. And when I look at postmodernism, postmodernism is always trying to go against these things. Yeah. So you tell me, you're more in this space than I am. Is it working? Are they ever, you're ever going to have a story to part from these four things, these four themes, because yeah. postmodernism is dead against these four themes. If you think about mm -hmm. it, right? So yeah. that's where we're talking about philosophy, yeah. art, right? And in, yeah. in, the, in the topic of the story, yeah. you know, I think that they're not going to win this battle. I mean, you yeah. tell me. Yeah. Well, it's time that tells, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, that's, that's what kind of keeps, what, it, what are we reading today that's still relevant to us, that touches us today, that is, was relevant hundreds yeah. of years ago? And you mentioned the middle and the beginning. I mean, it, this is the Shakespeare defines the three-act play. So, mm -hmm. middle, yep. you know, begin, and that, when I went to the BBC, that's where I was trained in. Look, everything's, you know, lay it out, and then off you go on the journey, and mm -hmm. then there has to be a conclusion. So it's the three-act play. You're trying to deliver the three-act play. Um, and also limited limited attention so it, it when, when we classical way of making documentaries is probably two to three salient points that have yep. to be left and what was interesting at the period when i started at the bbc there was it was an era of only four channels in the uk we only had four channels we didn't have cable it was just turning up and generally these four were dominant even the cable was very inferior quality so people didn't watch as much and so you had a very large audience there and so you, you had to get it right, otherwise people would be you know, switching off very quickly. And um, so I, I learned a lot of those kind of classical kind of ideas about documentary making, about what you're trying to do. But one of them, the, the BBC felt that it, it was its job to take very complicated ideas yep. and make them accessible to ordinary people. Yep. You know? And so often the people I was working for would say, would my mum understand this? You know? Exactly. And yeah. he had a PhD from Oxford himself, but yeah. his mother would, like, had no education. Yeah. So he was saying, you know, and so actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, this plays a very important part in actually what I would call educating the masses, mm -hmm. lifting the level of everybody's education, which impacts on the whole of society. Yeah. And it's a type of enlightenment that you're bringing everybody up. Mm -hmm. And they used to see this as almost a moral duty that they had yeah. to do that. Um, and there's a fantastic documentary now, which I, don't, I, which I would highly recommend. I don't know if it's easily available. It's called Hypernormalization. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the director is a, um, an incredible uh, uh, filmmaker called Adam Curtis. Mm -hmm. And he, one of his previous swings was called The Power of Nightmares, in yeah. which he actually lines, lays out 
that transition where politicians went from offering you hope to, to then frightening you. Yeah. And so then that kind of appeared about the seventies where before the seventies, everybody had to say, look, we're going to make your life better. Yeah. After the seventies, it was always like, look, it, it's bad. It's going to be really bad. I'm the only guy that can help you. Yeah. And it changed into that narrative. And, yeah. and, and so he, he's done some incredible stuff, but hyper-normalization, he's saying we, this is one of the problems we've got now as documentarians. Do mm. we, are we even equipped to really understand what's going on? Mm. That actually the complexity of societies developed so fast. Yeah. And one of his big theories is that the system, whatever that is, can absorb all protest. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it's, a, it's actually a great system. George, you like the system. George yeah. Lloyd yeah. Is, is strangled murdered yeah we can we we watch this yeah you know? yeah we, we 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 bear witness to this death the end result is something like 30 statues are removed yeah or plantation owners. yeah that's not justice you know so no, nothing. yeah you know but but the system will take the anger and the injustice and then find some way of saying appeasing people yeah as long as it's look go back to work now okay yeah it's done but it's understood how to do that. And he's, he's making an incredible case. He's showing you how, how do we get here? This is what, what he does. Look, it's a kind of a type of a forensic journey. Yeah. How's this happened? How did we get here? And he's saying, this is our job as documentarians often to educate people, but even we're finding it very hard to have understandings of narratives and tools and what's happened and what's hidden and what's, you know, what's, what's uh, out in the open and what's not out in the open anymore. So, but, but I think coming back to what you're saying, yeah, I, I just think, um, there's always sort of the shock of the new people try new different types of techniques. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I've been watching this is us, right? I mean, we watched it since it first came out. My wife's a great fan. It's sort of very interesting, but it can get irritating after a while. Like <laughs> we've gone back again. Now we're back here. Now we've gone into the future. Now we come back. So this kind of sort of hyper reality of uh, time shifting experiences, yeah. it shows you that we're a sophisticated audience that we can understand. that. But the things that grip us the most are the stories that actually, you know, we just sit at a, at our grandfather's feet or our grandmother and just yeah. tell you this and it's like wow you know you still that's still kind of we remember those stories and we love them because actually they're contained they have a message and they and they and they start and then they end and and it's there you know yeah. and generally yeah. we 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 ourselves We're associate good. with this the hero's journey we ourselves yeah. are living that life of good versus evil yeah. and the, the good in us and the evil in us we're constantly yeah. kind of trying to think, fight our own selves in this you know so it, it does work. You know, when you touched on this idea of it, where we have a system that can absorb all protest, right? And, and slightly change a little bit, but pretty much it stays the same. You know what it brought to my mind is a lot of times protest is hijacked and people, the, the protesters themselves may celebrate this or think it's a victory. It's hijacked by capitalism, right? Mm. Capitalism is a system itself that really sort of, I think it transforms the nature of a lot of protests. For example, when you had Colin Kaepernick kneel, right? Nike jumped on it. And they're like, that's a massive audience, right? And they made the Kaepernick yeah. signs and everything, right? So it got me thinking of capitalism also and its impact on the arts. Is yeah. it positive or negative, right? Because if everything is just geared towards you know, like, where's the money going to go? The money's going to go where there's a business, obviously, where there's, where the, or, or growth is going to happen, where there's income. That's what's going to grow. 
Yeah. So you'd have to actually target the art that will grow is an art that can transform and target a buying power audience, like audience with buying power. What will people buy? Yeah. So therefore, your, your art is almost driven by people's base instinct to buy something as mm. opposed to driven by something else, right? By some other, you know, idea. Yeah. So how art, how capitalism influences art. I mean, that's a, how economics influences art. That's yeah. another huge topic, right? And that's yeah. a huge thing with that. I think that in the past, the greatest artists were patronized. Yes. Which means yeah. one guy, the Sultan, yeah. he, he's paying for this. So that means you're actually just doing you. And as long as the Sultan likes it at the end of the day. So that actually caused, allowed many artists to be very different. Whereas today, the CEO who reports back to his board, who's reading the stock uh, numbers, right, every day, he goes to the artist and the artist has to deal with that. So I think that it's a total different, that's one of the reasons why the art has changed so much because today there's no time. You got to produce me something that can be sold that the people will buy, right? You can't hit, dream hits, too much. hits, hits, hits. What yeah, you, you need yeah. little hits with immediate yeah. feedback. It's got to be yeah. an immediate feedback loop. You yeah. can't say, you know, wait, just give me 10 years to produce this uh, building or something and you'll see. So, you know, I think that, and that touches upon everything, you know, that, that gets used. I mean, that's every, everything that is produced in the art world is got to respond to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ten, 10 years is interesting. Um, it reminds me of one of the films we have and the story of um, the great architect Sinan, yeah. who's responsible for these magnificent, magnificent you know, mosques all right across Istanbul. Yeah. So when he's working for uh, Suleiman, you know, Sultan Suleiman, he builds Suleimania. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Sinan spent 40, 50 years of his career. Yeah. Uh, in in the in the corpse uh, in the in the army bit that blows up buildings. Wow! So he's doing that for fifty years. Then he becomes the architect. Right? Wow! So he so learned. He, the so he spent time taking these things apart, right? And of course, you know, I, I remember Sheikh Hamza saying that. Yeah, look, it's any anybody can tear down a building, but yeah. learn how to put one up. You know, it takes yeah. a long time. And he so he's reverse engineered the whole process, right? Yeah. And so when he does the Suleimania, he lays the foundations. And, you know, Istanbul is an earthquake zone. They've, they've had earthquakes. Mm-hmm. So he, they know this. There's like there's a fault line running through there. So he lays the foundations and then there's these campaigns. They're out in Hungary somewhere and he joins the army and he goes. And uh, he's gone for 10 years. Yeah. And the Sultan's like, where's my mosque? You, know, where's this you, you better get yourself back to Istanbul or your head's going to be on a platter, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's just delaying, delaying, delaying. And of course, you know, in the end, it gets built and everything. And it's the one mosque where there's, it's survived the earthquakes because yeah. he completely get, he understood. Yeah. Somehow, I've got to deal with the patron, right? Who's mm-hmm. impatient yeah. and wants what he wants. Uh-huh. But I need to build something which actually, you know, it's going to do the job. It's fit yeah. for purpose. Otherwise, this thing will come tumbling down. I'll lose my head anyway then if it yeah. cracks, <laughs> you know, while he's still alive. So it's, in, it's an incredible thing. But, but that, yes, coming back to what you're saying, I mean, um, this is also sort of wrapped up into what we're doing at Alchemia in terms of who gets to make what, who gets to speak, who owns this narrative, okay? So who owns, who owns the narrative of what Rami is saying? Yeah. How much of it is his voice? How much of it is mediated by the people who own the platform? 
They have right? to sell it. Yeah, you have yeah. to sell it. But in the end, when the profits are made, how much does it, how much, what percentage goes back to him? Mm -hmm. What percentage goes back? To, but because the, uh, the end rule is, we, hey, we're all subscribing. We're all, yeah, we want to see this thing. It's got Muslims in it. We all want to yeah. rush and subscribe it. So that's all they care about. Yeah. Come in. Come in, give and, us your, and, and oftentimes yeah. by the quarter, for example, like just yeah. I need to know, like in this moment of time, how many people signed up. It doesn't yeah. make a difference. The long term, you know, uh, legacy of this operation. Yeah. So what's starting to change? Let me read you something. OK. Yeah. So on this issue of money and business, because it, it does, it's a it's a economic activity. It's mm -hmm. a fundamentally someone's time and effort has to go into it. It takes years to study. So somebody has to be rewarded for it. And there is an audience that will pay for it, you know, and, but the difference is this idea of purpose mm -hmm. is the business driven by purpose or driven by profit. Mm. And in 1974, um, there was a company, Philip Van Heusen, that had a pension fund. They sold their shares in international telephone and telegraph ITT, as it was called at that time. And they sold their, their, uh, their uh, shares in it. Uh, at pro because they were protesting at how they had made political donations, that that conglomerate had made political donations. And the Financial Times said that it was the first example of a company anti-social actions triggering an exit from an otherwise attractive investment. Mm -hmm. So this pension fund was saying, we don't care how much money you're going to make us. We don't feel it's right that you're making political donations to there. So we're out. And they took yeah. their money out. And, uh, this was laughed at. This was yeah. laughed at. And these people were considered to be wrong and stupid. And of course, up pipes this guy, okay, called Milton Friedman. Okay. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah. who so, we all know. Yeah. So we, I'm assuming who we all know. Yeah. And he says the argument for a company to pursue anything other than legal profit would be pure and unadulterated socialism. Executives who spouted nonsense about social responsibility were the unwitting puppets for those who would undermine a free society. And the Chicago, um, he wrote a whole essay about that. Yeah. yeah. And so now move forward to last year, to 2019, uh, uh, sort of 2019. And you've got now companies like Johnson & Johnson reminding investors that their original founders of Johnson & Johnson, who may have been Quakers or probably committed Christians, they believed that profits would only flow if they had attended to other priorities first. And the outgoing CEO of uh, Unilever, Paul, Paul Pullman, has asked recently, why should the citizens of this world keep companies around whose sole purpose is the enrichment of a few people? Yeah. So here we are again, at a fork in the road, okay? Yeah. And the fork in the road is really this idea about who owns the business, mm -hmm. what does the business do, what is the point of the business, okay? Yeah. And so... What, 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 how, do, how does this impact on us as somebody who wants to make film? I want to connect with an audience. I have, you know, we, we defined our purpose that actually we're not more than making money, okay? Because people start talking about Muslim Netflix, like, you know, a quarter of the planet's Muslim. Oh my God, look at the <laughs> money you can make, right? <laughs> and it's like, that's not the point. The yeah. point of why we're here is to celebrate the heritage and traditions of Islam, yeah. okay? Because those are the things that have been neglected. Those are the things that even Muslims themselves have, have, have forgotten about. Yeah. And I Living think in that... a house with furniture from Ikea, Swedish furniture and nylon carpets and stuff yeah. like that. And our heritage is this amazing, beautiful stuff, yeah. which we ourselves are ignorant of now. Okay. So I'm trying to revive a, a, a love of that 
and that acting and increasingly it, when the first motivation for doing the project was not for Muslims to watch the content, but for non-Muslims to access it. Mm -hmm. And because I think, were, that, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I think that that goes back to one word, which is purpose. Yeah. Right? Earlier we had said like there's one word for uh, behind all um, written art, which is story, mm -hmm. right? And, yes. and even documentary and movies, story. But when it comes to companies, I believe that it really is back to one, the, the stronger you are in purpose, okay, the, the more clear it becomes what you're trying to do, right? And then you, it gives you direction. Purpose gives you direction. And when I look at um, failures, if you look at corporate failures, uh, there's oftentimes an absence of purpose or the purpose is in the wrong place or they're ambivalent about the purpose. When I look at the NFL, yeah. Oh, you don't have this in a, in the UK, but we have uh, the biggest one of the biggest operations here is the National Football League. Yeah. When I look at, I like to look at their PR. Right. They fumble their PR all the time. They mess up on decisions all the time. Right. Be and the NBA, National Basketball Association, the exact opposite. It is the most well-run or organization. And the reason that the difference is, is that the commissioners they have a very different concept of purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the NBA and the NHL guy, they're from the same teacher. They have the same mentor named David Stern. Yeah. He always focus on what is our purpose, right? And I mean, this is not like uh, Mother Teresa type of uh, charity work here, but yeah. they do have a sense of purpose and they respond well to their com the community, especially the NBA. So therefore you end up with clarity, yeah. purpose and, and direction. NFL, the guy is a numbers guy. That's all he cares about. Yeah. He everything that comes on his desk, he ruins it. Every scandal, he doesn't know how to handle it because he's lacked purpose. So that's where I think you can call this purpose-driven companies, yeah. right? And some people say, no, no, no. A company is only meant to make money. A company is only meant to make money. And there's no other, if it's, if it's a company, only thing you do is make money. I'm like, why though? Like what? There's yeah. no rule for this, right? There's no, you have to make enough money to survive, right? But yeah. you have to have purpose. And I think increasingly. Well, that, 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 there lies the baraka. Yeah. There yeah, lies any, the baraka. Exactly. And there lies what you've touched on, okay? Because in a parallel world, there are thousands of Islamic finance blogs, okay? Yep. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I've been in that world, okay? Yeah. Um, I can tell you, it's a veneer. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying they're doing it. They, they, just sometimes it's it's easy to fall into these traps. Yeah. The benchmarks of a business's success is not set by Muslims. Mm -hmm. It's set by Zuckerberg now, right? Yeah. The difference between we're a startup, he was a startup. Yeah. We're not we're not 18 year old guys in hoodies. Yeah. Okay. The idea of being a billionaire is an offensive idea. Actually, mm -hmm. I would probably say go. I'm not a scholar, but it's haram. I mean, why would you want to hoard money? Yeah. Why would you possibly want to hoard money? Yeah. You know, what on earth are you going to do with that? It's, if that's a pharaonic archetype in yeah. its essence, you know. Sorry, I hope I'm not thinking <laughs> anybody who's a billionaire out there, you know. <laughs> I'm sure many of your listeners are, you know. <laughs> but um, so what, so, and guess what? So when I went into the Islamic finance world, I couldn't find this. No one said anything like this to me. All they kept saying was like, Oh, brother Naveed, by the time you hit India and Pakistan and, oh, yeah. you know, this, this thing's going to be like massive, right? Yeah. 
And it's like, that's all very well, but I've got to get going somewhere. We're very small. We don't have any money. We don't, yeah. you know, and you're just jumping ahead thinking about the potential of all this thing, you know, yeah. go big or go home. Someone told me, you know, and what, what happened was we stumbled around. We didn't have a purpose. We didn't, we were confused. We weren't sure. We just knew what I knew at the heart of it was, look, I'm, I want to make these programs. I'm an, I trained as a, as an artist. I'd like to get this stuff out. I'm not really a business person. So I'm having to learn, 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 learn. Then I sit there and I think, I just, you know, I read the serial all the time, you know, it's like, why don't we have Alamin? Why don't we have Alamin Awards? The Alamin Awards, you know, can I be Alamin? Of course, because Allah, it's not one of the names Allah gives to the prophet, the people, mm. even before he's recognized, even before he becomes a prophet, yeah. he's, the people say, yeah, Muhammad, he's Alamin, right? Mm -hmm. So define Alamin. He's, he, he, he's offering value to his investor. So in Khadija, he offers value to the people who buy the goods. They're very pleased. They get a good price. Um, the people who work for him, they make money and he makes some for himself. Yeah. And so it's like a win, 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 right? Yeah. There's no sense of, uh, you know, he, he, he's serving everybody and he's doing it in the best way. But the most important thing is transparency. Yeah. It's just total transparency. What he says he's going to do, he does it. And, what, what he, and he, he's just totally open about that. I think well, we need these philosophies to make yeah. these businesses work. We need to bring that into Islamic, um, you know, into Islamic finance or Islamic economy. And so a friend of mine um, who uh, had worked for the Prince of Wales, he was in the army, the British army, and he's an English guy. And uh, he, you know, and does amazing charity work, you know, so I'd met him through that because he was uh, helping uh, a Muslim charity, as it were, you know, so I met him through that. We kept in touch. He invited me to a book launch and he writes, he's written this book on purpose, business and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I get invited to the book launch. And um, at that point, we've, we'd already been going for about two years, three years, and we had gone up, 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 and then crashed down. <laughs> you know, yeah, we had man. just run out of steam, made some classic mistakes. There'd even been a conflict with, uh, all started squabbling with each other. Then I'd taken me time to calm everybody down. Then I had to apologize. I had to look at my own faults. My wife was getting angry. What are you doing? Yeah, man, yeah. Is this thing going to work out? You know, why we're going without? And um, so this is a real low point for me. I go to this, uh, um, I, I go to this book launch and, you know, usual thing, say hello. And I'm about to leave and I meet, meet some guy and he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I, I run, I started this thing. I've worked in television, but I started this thing. And he's like, that's interesting. He said, I, I, I do media as well. Tell me a bit more. So I said, look, you know, it's been called the Netflix of Islam, but the whole point of it was all this kind of stuff. And uh, so he gives me his card and he says, okay. Um, um, I, I said, look, I'll send you a subscription. Complimentary. Have a look, see what you think. We send him the subscription. I get a call a week later and it's like, wow. He's like, look, I, I looked through. And at that time we had 50 films. He said, I generally couldn't find anything I liked. <laughs> but he said, uh, I came across a film called um, Islam Dunk. And I thought, I'll watch this because it's about Iraqi girls playing basketball. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a big NBA fan and I have two daughters. So I thought, okay, I'll watch this. And he said, you know, look, I cried. It made me cry. And uh, it turned the dial on my mm. understanding of Islam. Wow. And what Muslim people are about. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, I, I want to help you. So he started to coach me. And his whole thing was purpose-led business. Yeah. And so that's where I first under started to understand this, actually. And the more he told me, the more books he told me, the more I read about it, the more I started to look at purpose-led companies. I thought, 
shame on us. This is actually yeah. <laughs> enshrined in what we're supposed to be doing, but yeah. we've gotten quite far away from it. And so the end result of it is that uh, thanks to him really giving me a hard time, I'm giving over my stock. I'm giving over like a percentage of my stock. And the plan is that 51% of our Khmer will become owned by a wakaf. Mm. And so the wakaf will control, always have the controlling interest in the company. Yeah. The other 49%, we have at the moment 125 investors. They're micro investors. So yeah. the smallest person has about, you know, put in a thousand bucks and the biggest one put in 15. Yeah. And they, they've put that in. They're very patient. They're waiting for it to work out. But when the time comes for them to leave and to take, they're not doing it for some vast return. They'll get whatever the uplift is, but then they will sell to other people who want to be custodians of this, who want to yeah. participate in the baraka, as it were. That's how yeah. I see it. But my big chunk of my shares will go into the, into the wakaf, into the foundation, and forever the foundation will always be the controlling state. So the company's the rigged. Yeah, and the company's rigged. So it can never be sold to Netflix. It can never yeah. be sold to Amazon. It can never be. It can never be sold and bought by anybody like that. You know? And the the it, idea it of Wakovis, the idea of Wakov is to guard the purpose. They don't. The, I, the idea of Wakov is much probably more important in mm. concept of. I, I spent a lot of time in Malaysia talking to people, trying to find investors, meet this, and then I met these guys. They're fund managers. They're absolutely amazing what they do. And they said, "Look, there is Wakov Ilmia, okay." And this was established many, many, even you know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. These pots are brimming over because it was to publish books and it was to establish madrasas. We're pretty much maxed out. And so what happens is the job of the fund manager is to find things like Apple stock. Okay, Does, is it Sharia compliant? Does it harm anybody? Do these guys do anything bad? No, fine. Let's put our money in there. So they put it in early and it's like psh, gone up. You know? So the, the mm. Waka funds are really full. They're not printing any more books. They're not making any more madrasa. So they don't, the money doesn't get spent. And they said, what we need is probably some fatwas that say documentary content production is a form of instruction. Yeah. And is therefore a type of sadgajaria. If someone's watching and they're learning and they're being, their eyes are being opened or they've instructed that, then that's a possibility that that falls into that position. So therefore, I have this sort of vision that on the side of Alchemy is actually a proper economic system. Yeah. Because who's suffering at the moment? Like you said, who's disappeared? The patrons. Yeah. So where are the artists? Well, who's patronizing them, right? Exactly. Yeah. The only way we can, be, we can all come together as a community, okay? I mean, look, it's five, $7. We're cheaper than Netflix. We're five bucks a month, right? $50 if you want to pay for the year. It's not going to be like Netflix. It's not going to be every month, every few weeks, there's a new, oh, now there's a big drama. We yeah. haven't got that kind of money. It's, it may eventually get somewhere like that, but there's no value in that as well. We don't want to fill it with thousands. I mean, they have 22,000 films on there or something like that, yeah. right, on Netflix. We've just barely reached 300, 600 episodes, single episodes. It actually causes a type of paralysis when you give people too much. Yeah. But what we definitely do want to do is get to about 1,000 to 2,000 films and we want people to treat it like they treat their own library. I mean, there's books I've got here I haven't read in two, three years, but then in six months I might pull that book and read it again. And so we believe that it's important to do that. We just found a film, 1928. It's probably one of the first films ever of someone going on the Hajj. Mm, wow. And it was recorded by an Indonesian guy who left East Java and he performs the Hajj. And the film itself was uh, silent. It's a mm. silent film. Ajib. And so, because there was no sound recordings that went yeah. with the films at that time, there would have been an orchestra that would have played yeah. it. You know? 
And so what we did was we did some research and we found music from Arabia of that period on wax cylinders. And wow. we put that music on top of the film just because otherwise it's a very difficult thing to watch for yeah. such a long period of time, you know, and it's a great thing. So, but the next stage of it is to try to find an original print and get that rescued and get mm. it preserved. Because when you're seeing the arrival of the, um, uh, of the caravan into Mecca, into Medina, you're seeing them arrive in Jeddah mm. and the Mikat and they, you know, get prepare for the, uh, prepare, preparing to enter into Mecca for Hajj. And it's just incredible. These, yeah. these, 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 it's emotional. It's amazingly emotional. And you, you see what the, that somebody recorded what the Kaaba and all of this looked like. And even Medina is in there. You know? And so our job is to kind of get this historical stuff. But at the same time, um, like the great cultural institutions that um, the BBC has become or Discovery has become or National Geographic has become, yeah. my preferred decision would have been to take this business there, to take mm-hmm. this, that, that we become this uh, bastion of cultural output, mm. okay? But unfortunately, to bring people in, we have to put drama and entertainment in there. Yeah. Because that's, what's, that's the state of our community at the moment. That's where people want to watch that. And well, so you when have it to be a to, bit pragmatic. You have to be pragmatic. And it's when you look at, then we, you know, you can compare the qualities of the drama. Some of the stuff that comes is what they put out in the, in the Arab world during Ramadan. Yeah. And they, they, they're just soap operas, really. I mean, they have barely any, there's That's, no depth to any of them. <laughs> because of uh, pragmatism, and I'm, I'm just a big believer in pragmatics, because if you're not yeah. practical, then your ideas, nothing will, you'll get zero. You have a great and idea. You, and compromise. You have to find. A, yeah, you have to find a, the right a, way to compromise. A, a compromise. Because otherwise you're an idealist who dies with their idea in their head. Yeah. How does that benefit anybody, right? And you also can't, you have to be, pragmatic within your basic parameters. That's why I actually paid attention to Alchemia is because um, when I look at the way people live, people watch stuff. The, the people watch stuff. And, and uh, you know, the whole theory of, okay, let's not this, let's turn off everything and, and read books. It's wonderful theory. But you live with a family. Not everyone in the family holds that. Not everyone in your extended family holds that. You work with people. Right. Mm-hmm. So there has to be an exposure to the society. You have to be involved in the society or else you can go live in a small little group. Right. And then go off and be on the fringe. Right. Which if that's what you want to do, fine. But most people live in the, in the world. And when in, with Safina society, I'm, I want to try to bring the dean to people who live in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm purposely not targeting anyone with a friend, with an interest that is so refi- so fine. Yeah. that there's only five other people interested, right? Mm. So it's a middle, it's a middle class, it's a middle uh, balance type of thing that we're going through. And when I looked at this, I said, people are watching stuff anyway, right? Yeah. Why, not watch, why not watch this? So now that brings me, we, our, dis, our whole discussion was, we got sort of yeah. thousand tangents on yes. <laughs> art and philosophy and economics yeah. and everything. But tell me, first of all, I'm very curious, and we'll probably bring this clip forward, uh, but... What did you produce and how did you end up making alchemy? What, what stuff did you, what was the, the, some of the things that you, you yourself produced and then, you know, how did this transition from that into this whole new world of alchemy? Um, I was, I was 30 and Mm -hmm. I was, I'd been working at the BBC for maybe sort of five, six years. I'd, I'd, 
uh, been promoted quite fast. You know, I'd made some really good films. They'd done well. I, and, I, and, I, and I had some great, great bosses there who really appreciated me. And I was doing nothing to do with Islam or my culture or anything like that. I was doing mostly history and art and things like this. Documentaries. Um, yeah, documentaries. I made things in Maria Callas on opera. I, I had no idea about opera, but I learned, you know, and yeah. made films like that. And um, my mother died. You know, she was young. She was 53. And she uh, died of cancer. And uh, I stood there. I dug the grave. I went into the grave. I buried her with my brother. And um, it, every veil was lifted. Every possible veil that Allah could, li- could lift for somebody was lifted. SubhanAllah. And you, when, when you see that, then you can't go back. You can't go, you can't go back to not, not seeing that. Mm. And um, the, the next thing that occurred to me was the shortage of time. Mm. That actually I could leave the graveyard, be hit by a car and be in the next grave. SubhanAllah. So that it's a, it's a kind of a the, the the biggest awakening that you could ever have, you know. It's, and and it's it's truth. There's huck, absolute pure huck in that in that death. And I'm now old enough. I've buried both my parents. I've buried people very close to me, you know. So I do understand um, that what's coming is far more important than what what's so, here. Mm. I totally get that, you know. Mm. And this is this is just this journey, this linear journey that we're on. And so it, it just troubled me and suddenly nothing seemed to make sense. Nothing mm-hmm. mattered really. And so at work, I asked for them to move me into the unit that looked at this new idea of diversity. How were they dealing with it? What did they do? It was a very important thing. They'd put it into their corporate structure. I mean, we're talking about 1996, 1997, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a pre-9-11 world. Mm-hmm. And they were, look, minorities, women, we have to help, we, you know, we we're very white we're very male we're very pale as they say and we need we need to get these people in so i kind of moved out of filmmaking went into policy and i thought look i have opinions on this i can do some research i can help you and uh, what i got onto the agenda was islam they never put that on there you know and it's like look you need to deal with this and increasingly there was a militancy that was emerging you know and mm. i was saying look you know, we, 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 there's an identity that's coming out of this, which is quite positive in that people are beginning to finally say, I'm not Pakistani, I'm British Muslim, beginning to yeah. take ownership and they want to be here. The government, there were people coming into parliament who were Muslim politicians for the first time. So there was a great energy that was emerging. And that's also, you know, uh, Fouad Nadi, you know, may Allah yeah. mercy when he saw he just passed away sort of around that time I first met him and yeah. he was doing some amazing, so there was a whole scene and, you know, and then I think around again that time, I first came across Sheikh Hamza and all of this stuff was like, it sort of just suddenly everything opened, all these doors opened for me in the right way. And it kind of all made sense. And I didn't have any struggle, internal struggle, because I thought this is, this is my heritage anyway, you know, and in the way that Masood's talking about, we, we couldn't find it in our, Brelvi, Qadriya, HFD <laughs> circles. And so we kind of found the Shazlis and the Malikis, you know? Mm. And I often joke when I see my Pakistani brethren, I'm like, oh my, you're Hanafi, man, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> I'm like, come on, brother. I mean, we, we've got our own culture, right? We've got our, but, but God bless them because they gave us it in English mm. and they gave it to us in a beautiful way that made sense to us, you know? Yeah. And so suddenly we just, we just, 
found sakun, we found some sakuna for ourselves in terms of finding that. And so I was able to kind of like get at work, be just in a position to influence people and say, look, so what came out of it was an incredible 30 programs over one month, all on Islam, called the Islam season. Wow. And it's just incredible. So it was, and, and again, all of it positive. It was about, you know, Islam and gardens, Islam and architecture, this. It was even one on Islam and football, the two great religions left. As it were, you know. <laughs> who, who were the uh, producers of that? Uh, just different people. I mean, I, the one I worked with was with uh, um, Sidi Abdul Latif Salazar, Video Salazar, who is, you know, he, he's made the Ghazali film. He made the film Circling the House of God with Dr. Loings. And we worked on a film on the Hajj. And it was like the first documentary on the oh, Hajj that Hajj. had been done for, you know, maybe 50 years at the BBC. And so we went off to Mecca. Uh, um, I stayed at the house of Haroon Sujik, who was mm. living in Mecca at the time. So when I yeah. first met Haroon, and it was just incredible. So we made this documentary, and the documentary went out. It, it, it was, it, you know, on on the Hajj and Art Malik, who's a great, uh, you know, uh, actor in Hollywood. Of he did the narration, and um, the film went out in August two thousand and one. And someone someone wrote in and said, I couldn't sleep. I was awake, and this film was on late at night. And I've now take I've now become Muslim. I watched this film. I've Subhanallah. Yeah. Subhanallah. So we we got letters like that. You know, uh, no, you uh, just yeah. as a curiosity, it's what like two years of production, and then they released them all in one month, one yeah, after the other. Yeah. yeah. Just I'd like to get to know the timeline of these. Yeah, things. and there was and there was lots of people. I mean, it took it took about a year of development, arguing over what should be the right film, and all this kind of stuff. And you know, and there were the, ideas in there like you know the Islamic Republic of Great Britain, and the idea was. Muslims have taken over. We're going to show what it's going to be like, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Why are you? And they were like, no, no, it'd be great. Interest-free oh, banking yes. and organic food and halal. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're going to trigger everybody, right? <laughs> so it's like, there's no way we're going to make that, you know. <laughs> so uh, we kind of managed to kind of agree on what, and, and it was great. It was, it, and, and we did a whole series called Inspired by Islam, show. Mm. So we did the first of Abdul, uh, I can't even remember his name, but this is the guy who worked at the classification of books in Baghdad. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we did, we did um, surgical instruments and there's a, you know, in Oxford, it's Abu Qasis. And it's like, of course, Abu Qasim. <laughs> and uh, he invented the, the tonsil guillotine, which was yeah. still in use until about 20 years ago. Wow. So we did all this heritage stuff. It was fantastic. A month later, 9-11 happened. Wow. Yeah. That was it. That was it. That's and crazy. It rolled it all back. <laughs> it was oh. all gone. You know, that was like the, we had this golden period. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. We're we're making stuff and putting it on national television. People are starting to convert. Yeah. You know, it's like oh. just oh. don't tell anybody, right? Keep it quiet. Oh. I mean, you know, it's like something's working out, and then nine eleven happens, and yeah. it's like and it's like suddenly I'm in demand. Where's that Muslim guy? Yeah. And it's like, okay get me bin Laden's phone number. <laughs> and, uh, you know, please, we've got 400 people of the senior managers of the BBC. You're going to give a lecture on jihad. What it means. Oh my God. No, <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> I have no idea either. I've never heard of these people, right? I used to be a designer. I don't know anything about this. No idea what's going on. And I'm like, no, no, you're the only one here. You'll have to do, come on, let's get going. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, Back to back, I start talking to kids. Next thing I know, I'm some kind of expert on <laughs> why Muslims are angry, right? Oh my gosh. And I get to the point where I make this film, uh, I make a radio program saying, there's going to be problems in Britain. You know, yeah. We've got homegrown terrorists here. Wow. And then suddenly the Muslim community are like, 
shame on you. Yeah. Shame on you. It's bad enough without <laughs> you. You change sides. You're like now saying, oh, you know. And of course, what I said happened. You know, wow. It, 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 a month later, it happened. And it, it was, then I made a film, Young, Angry, and Muslim, where I try, you know, always context, always context, always context. I'm trying to say, look, yeah. these kids are they're victims of racism. Mm. Right, and then they they didn't feel like they fitted in, and then along came these guys who had been thrown out of their own countries. Yeah, and you know these are the orphans of Islam, and they've just you know I said the Pakistani mosque when the kids like they put their hand up and asked about sex, they threw him out. It's the same kind of thing. They asked about jihad and they yeah. kicked him out. Don't yeah. mention it in here, you know. And then these other guys just kind of groomed them and took them, and mm-hmm. next thing you know, it's sort of out of control. So mm. there was a. There was a lot of responsibility that the mosques themselves or our own community wasn't prepared to take. It was head under the sand kind of moment. It was like, you know, yeah. don't embarrass us. Don't put us in. No, look, we have to face up to this. And I think people like Tariq Ramadan were coming to London at that point and saying, yeah. they're frightened of us. They're frightened of us. And you need to accept that they're frightened of us. Yeah. And so I kind of rolled all these ideas. And I got to the point where I was like about to have a mental breakdown. I'm just like, look, I love Islamic gardens. I like calligraphy. I like art. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not a political person. I don't really even care about the rights and wrongs of, yeah. of, of all of these things. And I'm definitely not someone who's going to argue the finer details of fiqh. It's yeah. not my thing, right? I don't understand any of this. But what I, what I realized was no one's showing anything good. Anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it yeah. Reminds... We, we ourselves are joining in now, right? Mm-hmm. Every, discussion every... after discussion as well. I can't remember who said it. I think it was Peter Sanders. Uh, he walked into a room and he said, who here has heard, can name me three uh, Islamic terrorists, radical jihadists, whatever. All the kids put their hands up. They named Bin Laden. They can name, you know, ISIS, whatever. Yep. He's, then he said, all right, raise your hand if you ever heard of the word awliya. Nobody put their hand up. Then he heard of the word Wow. Right? Which is, I mean, the highest aspiration of a Muslim is to be wali. And you, in the history of Muslims, they've always pointed to people that, I mean, we Allah knows who's the, the wali, but yeah. there are signs and there's a way of living yeah. that some and, people and, have. And aspiration. Asp- aspire, and aspiration. Aspire. So we always say that's the, that, that's the figure, you know, right? and we write their biographies, we'll tell their stories, right? And yeah. then living amongst us, you know, see that old man, right? Or see that person. Like that's your aspiration. So we ended up becoming people we know. We're our youth are familiar with, you know, the 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 da- the, ne- the negative, far, and they're not even uh, even aware, yeah, of the biggest aspiration, right? So I mean that that's where the narrative. And, comes and just to let you know, yeah, uh, Abla, he was he was there. He was yeah. there at every key moment. Yeah. I and mean, he was involved in these productions too. Yeah, um, I mean, we, I, me, and him have been at Arafat together three times with wow, our cameras around our necks. You know, it's like that. We have a. I mean, he introduced me to my wife, right? So um, I, I have a very, very yeah. deep. I, I owe him so much, so much. You know, really. I mean, um, he is. He's a great. So, uh, he's a pivotal person in that whole period of time where the arts and, yeah. you know, uh, and and British identity was coming together in that nineties period, you know, and that, and that, and it really comes back to the word control, right? Who Mm -hmm. controls this thing? Because if it's someone who needs to, you know, who's determining what the plot line is or what the mood is even. Yeah. Right. And what words are used and what words are not used. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. whenever you go to, 
or an action movie. Yeah. And then there's a scene where the CIA agent has to go to Iran or to Turkey or to Egypt. I always note a couple things. Number one, they are always arriving at prayer time because the event is going <laughs> off. Right? Yeah. Like, there's only four. It's in the middle of the day. So there's either Dhuhr or Asr. So they're only yeah. arriving at that time. Secondly, you know, it's always dusty. Yeah. Dusty market. There's no yeah. other location yeah. in the Islamic world than the dusty market. And then she's got to put on her, you yeah. know, her veil that's halfway, right? Yeah. And, um, and there has to be some very odd-looking people who, I got to tell you, they don't exist anymore in Egypt. Yeah, right? yeah. You will not yeah. find somebody walking with a very <laughs> colorful turban yeah. or, right, in Egypt. This doesn't exist. You, you may have thought it exists in the 90s. Maybe yeah. vestiges of that. But go to, go to Egypt and find me how many people are actually wearing thobes. <laughs> right yeah. let alone turbans and big beers and stuff like that you well know, look so it, 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 we, we this is one of the things that is on our list but clearly we're we've all read you know edward saeed we're big fans of his work we're, in fact we're trying to get as much video content that he made together yeah um and 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 the late jack shaheen as well you know who yeah. they just they, they're absolutely it's muslim narrative matters you know yeah so and, that's where your yeah. uh, your uh, the alchemy comes in is that uh, the idea of controlling that narrative. Well, it just got to the point where having been in the system for such a long time, yeah, okay, and then then getting to the point where my own sanity, you know, and I'm not the only one. Ask anybody who a person of color, even just forget about just being Muslim or Asian in any of these big institutions. Yeah, how much you compromise, compromise, how much you have to compromise what is possible, what's not possible. And I just got to that stage where I just thought, it's just, I can, life's too short, life's too yeah. short. I've learned a lot. I, I have a hunch, I can do this. And, and what had happened was also, I had sort of set up my own company. I'd been working on my own company. And we had done a six part series called The Best of British Islam. Mm. And it was a kind of an early attempt to kind of look at six documentaries that show you everything good about being British and Muslim, the history, the heritage, all of that stuff. And this, this, took me to, you know, I, I, I got lots of invites to travel around the world to kind of come and talk about it. By the time I got to Malaysia, we'd already sold it to 19 Muslim mm. channels around the world. Mm. And when I met the Malaysians and the Indonesians, they were like, why did you just make six? And I'm yeah. like, well, limitations in budget, generally most six part series, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, why? And they're like, well, look, if you, if you gave us 300, we'd, we'd, we'd take 300, you know? Wow. I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, you know, we, we could put this on every day and get huge wow. audiences. And I was like, come off it. Why? <laughs> and I was like, why, why are you interested in what the Muslims of, um, you know, Britain are doing? You know, why would you care in Indonesia, right? Most populous Muslim country in the world, 250 million, 280 million Muslims. Why would they watch what we do in London? And they said, Muslim cool. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are Muslim cool. What you're doing, how you, how you understand Islam, where you're going with it. You're just, you're just dealing with stuff where, which we haven't even thought of yet. Yeah. You know, and, but on another level, you know, sounds trivial, but the clothes you wear, the music you listen to, the books you read, we love it. We love it. We'd like yeah. to see that, you know, <laughs> so we want to come and visit you, all this kind of stuff. So that's where suddenly there was an economic mm. audience that was there. Yeah. And previous to that, while I was running the production company, we were making some small projects for the BBC. We were doing various other bits and we were, you know, we were struggling. We had different things and we had a very early web series. We, just as YouTube launched about a year after that, we came up with the idea called Muslim Cafe. And mm -hmm. so we had a discussion 
you know, in, a, in what looked like a Moroccan cafe, a shisha cafe. And yeah. we'd have Muslims in there and non-Muslims mixed in. You know, we did, we did one on, the one of the best sellers was What's Wrong With Muslim Men? I mean, man. Oh my God. For that. <laughs> and it was, it was all women talking. Oh <laughs> you know, what's the problem with Muslim men? Yeah. And I like that, that's like a super hit. And then we did things like, is Harry Potter halal? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, School of Magic and Witchcraft. You know? <laughs> so still, like, are, those, are those videos yeah. still up? No, they, we, at that time, we, we tried to control uh, the, the, the content because we yeah. felt if it goes onto YouTube, it's out of control. We can't have any say on it. And we, get, mm-hmm. and we make no money because also people are putting money, investment money into it. And we've yeah. burnt a lot of money and we didn't make anything back. You know? So yeah. we kept those. And I must try and dig those back out. But we did, we did even did like, is hip hop halal? You know, and yeah. all of this. So we had some great discussions and stuff. And, um, but we made mistakes. We made mistakes and we failed. And uh, in that company at the time, what happened was uh, a, a very old, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Farouk, who's a cameraman, lives in Istanbul. He said, look, I, uh, I have a friend here um, who's my age and his son and his friends are coming to London to do a master's in media. There's about four or five of them. And please meet them, you know, invite them to yeah. your office. And uh, so they came and they were like, wow, a Muslim run production company. I'm like, yeah, look, here's all the content we're making. All this. They're like, this is incredible. And uh, so the, the guy I met there, uh, Ibrahim, today runs TRT. Wow. He is the director general of TRT. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. So he That's is impressive. the guy who created Vertical. Wow. Oh, really? Signed off the, like, go do this. Very impressive. Very yeah. impressive. And so yeah. he, he came and he was doing a master's and then we just kept in touch. And, but one of his friends was doing a master's in documentary production, Sirkan. Mm. And so... At that time, you know, the business wasn't going great. We were like, it was the economics. We couldn't make this work. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, where are we going to go with this, right? We're trying to make, and then who's going to watch this? Where do we show it? If we put it on YouTube, it's people are going to watch for free. They're not going to make any money. Yeah. And uh, is there enough of an audience? So all these questions were there. And then Sirkan, um, and, and Netflix had just started and everyone's saying, look, this is the future. All TV is going to move onto the net. You need to yeah. be thinking about that. So was, all these things were flying around. So Sirkan makes this film. And uh, it's his student dissertation for his final year, for his master's. And uh, he comes and he says, look, can I get some time with you? So what do you think about this? What do you think about this? This is my theme. So I just give him a bit of advice. And then eventually he submits it. He comes back. I hadn't seen the final thing. And he said, look, I'd love for you to watch my final thing. And he made a film about clockmakers in Istanbul. Or people who repair clocks. The film's on the platform. And he has in there somebody who is in charge of the Ottoman clock collection. Mm. And uh, she's a woman, I've forgotten her name. And uh, she talks about the nature of fixing clocks. Mm. And then he talks to a, a, a clockmaker in the bazaar in Istanbul. And he talks about the nature of fixing clocks. And this is just the most profound Sufi film I've ever seen in my wow. life. Wow. It's 15 minutes long, okay? And uh, I, I, just, I just was completely like, I couldn't speak afterwards, right? Wow. Yeah, because in through this exploration of clock and time, it it's just like something else happens because mm. they. And afterwards, I found out that of course she's Mevlana. You know, <laughs> it's mm. like oh, makes sense. You know, it's like yeah, it's like it's just like profound wisdom of wow. time. Wow. It's encapsulated into this film, and it's a fifteen-minute film. Mm. And I said, "Second, how much does it cost you to make?" You know, because yeah. it's like the only barrier is money, right? 
-hmm. because the talent is there, the ideas are there, the equipment is there, the platforms are there. So what's the glue? What's missing? Why are we not doing this? Why are we not making something so big and beautiful that everyone can watch it? Money, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And he said, I did this for like three, $2,000 or $3,000. Wow. I said to him, look, I'm going to start a channel. <laughs> and I'm putting your film on that yeah. channel. That's going to be the first film on that channel. And that was it. That I just thought, look, I'm going to do this. I've got yeah. to... And, and, you know, leading up to there, every few years, I'd have a knock on the door. There was some lovely, Habibi, TV yeah. channel. They'd be like, Sheikh, la. <laughs> yeah. thank you, Sheikh. No, uh, not with you, pal. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. And I'm like, look, I, 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 I don't want to get sucked up into someone else's ambitions to yeah. get rich. Yeah. I'm not really interested in that. What I'm actually interested in is this thing's got to be beautiful. It's got to yeah. be perfect. It's got to, every bit of it's got to just be, yeah. be there. And then look, I've listened to Dr. Omar talking about the culture imperative. I've listened mm -hmm. to Sheikh Hamza talking about that. I've listened to Sheikh Hakeem talking about this. Now, come on, man. I'm, I've got to roll this into what I do. Yeah. Bring all these things out and then find a way to make it work. And then, you know, like you said, and it can't be too rarefied. It can't just be, you got to be in this Darika to get it. No, yeah. can't be about that. I, I've come from the BBC. We pride ourselves on broad. You know, we're yeah. we're, we're a broadcaster. It's, yeah. It can't be niche. It can't be just. Yeah. But it's got to satisfy all these things. And and then so the answer was: look, culture. It's culture. It's through the culture that we, and it's actually through the food and the culture and the and the beautiful mosques and the staff that people understand Islam. That's the first step. And if we can make this, and now we're seeing the non-Muslim, I mean, I'm, I'm just having the first conversations where they like it so much they want to show it, start showing it in schools. You know? I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. It's, it's a great resource, actually, yeah. for schools that have, especially yeah. schools that have a significant Muslim population for you know, kids to have access to that and to look at that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and straight away, the, the red light goes on. Dawa, dawa, you're yeah. trying to convert people. Mm -hmm. And my thing is, no, I'm just trying to get people to come to peace. Yeah. I'm trying and to get, I'm trying to get people to stop hating. Yeah. Okay? I'm, I can't be responsible for anybody becoming Muslim. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us can take that credit. I mean, that's actually in the Quran. We, all yeah. we can do is just present it in a way that people get some value out of it. My friend, uh, the, the host of this podcast, Moeen, he always says, um, Muslims have there's like a, a Muslim app. If someone wants to start an app, he wants to start a Muslim app. Someone wants to start, you know, um, a company. Well, I want a Muslim company. It's like, and he's always saying, why not just start a company? And it's gonna be in if you're real with about your yourself and your dean, mm. it's gonna reflect in it, right? Yeah. But you don't need to plaster superficially. Yeah. Okay, here's yeah. a Muslim app. Okay, why can't it just be an app, right? All right, stocks, right, or whatever, mutual funds. It's just a mutual fund, and you, as the owner, have principles, right, yeah. guided by your revelation, right? So it doesn't have to be... Well, but, 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 right? but it's a difficult place to navigate. It's a very difficult thing to navigate that. I'm talking from practicalities, okay, how yeah. we sort of surf and do all of this stuff, okay? Are we Islamic? No, we're not. How can we be Islamic? It's a channel. Yeah. You know, a Muslim person is Islamic or the Quran is Islamic, but well, you, it's a channel, right? So we're not an Islamic channel because we consciously put us, it's, it's like what you're saying, what's the target market? Yeah. So we consciously saying, okay, 
there's a bit here where Muslims like to watch, and there's a bit here where non-Muslims like to watch as well. Okay, so these non-Muslims, when we ask them, what would you like to watch? Well, we don't, we don't want to know about Quran and Hadith. We want to know about your buildings. We want to know about your food. We want to know about, you know, these lovely places that, you know, these silks in Uzbekistan. Okay, so let's bring that bit because at least it brings them through the door. And then let's bring that. And then, you know, when they're there, they get curious because it's a large menu. You could wander around. You can perhaps they'll learn something. And then we say to Muslims, well, what, what do you want to watch? Well, there's no point in us doing, you know, fiqh or Quran or this, because there's lots of that. And it's being done very well now. You know, it's from Baina TV to you name it. You can, you can do it for free. You don't need to be paid to do this stuff. Yeah. So we actually want to do things like, okay, you need to know about your own heritage. I mean, when I was growing up, every adult Pakistani have you read Dr. Iqbal? Have you read Dr. Iqbal? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, you try and open and read the poetry of Iqbal, it's just gibberish. It just, yeah. the translations by Toynbee, the English, it's like, what? <laughs> no idea what, you know, what are you talking about here, right? It's a combination. It works best in Persian and Urdu and Arabic, but then she, it's sort of, but we found a film. We found a film on Iqbal, mm -hmm. probably the only documentary, if you haven't watched it, man, that's mm -hmm. another film where it, it's just, so beautiful how they are able to extract the essence of what he was saying and for you as a viewer it's just so simple to get this is what he's this is what wisdom poetry is and he's one of the last left who actually mm. talked about it do you have a favorite oh it's like which one of your children do you love most yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean look i i, I there's a lot on art and architecture. You'll see it's, that's me, my, you know, yeah. come on. That's all, that's all the stuff I love. You know, I, I'm passionate about Islamic craft and art and, uh, and, 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 and beauty really. So that's all there. Um, the film on, on Iqbal is important to me because I guess it's, um, it's our heritage as a Pakistani. Mm -hmm. I'm connected to that. Um, I think it's very deep. Kowali music. I'm a Kowali music fan, you know, so we've, we found things there. I still feel there's there's more films to be made on Kuali music. It's a completely um, misunderstood art form because actually, you know, the, the the Mughal armies had conquered, taken over, established Islam in India, and vastly outnumbered. You're talking about a minority ruling a majority. Yeah, and it really is the, the amazing the chistis really win over people's hearts. Wow, just, and bring them to Islam, and 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 they're so tolerant that actually. You can come here, you can come to the masjid, you can come, you don't even need to convert. So you will meet people who are just absolutely devotees of Muhyiddin um, uh, Chisti, you know, the great, uh, yeah. great Chisti Sufis, and they're still Sikhs or they're still Hindus. Uh -huh. But they, 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 they like, well, these people are all here. They say these people are all here. <laughs> they are all here. <laughs> and they say that as a Hindu or as a Sikh, you know. That's crazy. And they, there's a sense of tolerance, you know. So you just, and, and so that's, there's a lot to be learned there. Um, and then I think it's, it's it, constantly my thought is on what's missing, okay? Yeah. What's missing, okay? Where is the film on Coltrane? What on was what? he singing? On John Coltrane. Oh, yeah. Is it, is it, is it a love supreme or is it Allah supreme? Mm. I've listened to it over and over again, and it's like you know. But and then I met you know she comes and says, "Oh, I met I met Alice Coltrane," you know, and it's like so. There's there's just this incredible sort of history that we need to start bringing together. Alexander Webb, first American convert, you know. Uh, Yara Mahmood. You know, what about uh, movies? There's so many stories. Sorry. 
what about these these documentaries in the form of a movie? Is that too expensive? I mean, these are like multi at this stage. At this stage, that's is. too expensive because you, you know that there is a story, and I can send you yeah. the blog link on it that I put on. And I was just reading. Actually, my wife discovered it. She's yeah. reading. She's a uh, she reads a lot, and sometimes she just reads to me. And and I was she came upon the story of a Andalusian girl who's from the courts. So like her oh, somehow wow. she's related to the courts somehow. She's yeah. a young girl. Um, the Reconquista happens. She moves down to Morocco and she becomes a pauper, actually. She becomes really poor. Yeah. And she ends up, actually, I think, if I, I can't even remember the exact story. She ends up, you know, f f actually falling in love with a man. She marries a man. The man's a pirate, right? He's a pirate. That's what he does. He goes to the Mediterranean yeah. and he hijacks a cr cr Christian ships because they're the ones who kicked them out of their country, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. he dies. She takes over as the chief pirate. Now wow. she's a pirate, right? Yeah. Uh, she gets so elevated by the Moroccan government because of you know what she's doing and trying to fight back the crusader or the, mm, the Christian mm. reconquista that a prince marries her. Yeah. A prince of Morocco marries her. So now she's Probably. back to being a, like a queen again, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, this story has everything in it. Yeah. It's got everything in it. And I got to send you the blog post on it. And I was thinking... If there's ever going to be a movie that's made, mm. this is going to be the one, right? That's yeah. got to be made because... Well the, well, the interesting thing is the cost of production is dropping all the time, you know? Yeah. And so you, you, th these things used to be horrendously expensive, but they, 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 you can bring the prices down, and especially when you're doing filming in those countries, they're, they're there. Um, they, we've started to see the first real spiritual films coming out of Turkey, you know, kind of what I would say someone is consciously trying to capture um, the sort of principles behind to solve, but into a, into a feature film that you would watch as a film of story of someone's life. And so yeah. we're negotiating, bringing some of those. I mean, because people decide to watch Ertigo, I'm assuming that people are comfortable with watching subtitled content. And um, this, this is also part of our problem, which I hope yourself and the good members of your society will, 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 provide us with ideas and will themselves consider how this challenge that we face. So we have some outstanding Iranian films, okay? And these films, I would say to you that they are, they capture spirituality of Islam in its essence, in the, in the, most, in the best way that anyone has done. Mm. Nobody's watching them. Mm. They subscribe to the platform, they go for the obvious choices. And when they see the Iranian staff, it's like, mm, I'm not sure. They're not investing their time in them. And if they were to, it's like, I'm a Pakistani, Pakistanis don't eat olives. Yeah. It's not conventional, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love olives, but it was an acquired taste, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I had to be encouraged. Yeah. Uh, come on, hey, how come you don't eat olives? And I, oh, come on, Sidi, have some olives. <laughs> like, okay, first few times, it's like, mm, I'm not sure, okay? But yeah. I actually, guess what? After a while, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I get it, you know? Now I like this four or five different types I like. And, you know, yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing. And it's the same thing when you switch from eating junk food to good food. Yeah. Okay. If you get yourself out of the Breaking Bad and the House of Cards rubbish and you start watching this stuff, it, it will entertain you. It will grip you. Okay? You're talking about subtitled movies. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly stuff from Iran. Yeah. And it will grip you and it's, it's, and it's modern life. Most of these are just dead. You, there's not even any mention of religion in them. They're yeah. just simply people are living their lives. I mean, uh, uh, God, my brain's going at the moment, but one of them, okay, 
is about the story of a blind professor. He's a mm -hmm. great learned professor and people love him and his students and wife and everything. And he get, reaches a ripe old age and he's blind. But suddenly they discovered that they can do an operation and he can have his sight back. Mm. So he has to go to America. He has the operation. And after the operation, subhanallah, he's moved to write poetry. He sees snow for the first time. Ajay. He sees, you know, he sees clouds for the first time. He sees people's faces for the first time. How old is he when he gets a sight back? Like 50 something, you know. He's been blind for his entire life. Yeah. I mean, it's and he a, sees it's a, for the first time. It's a story, right? It's a drama. Oh, I thought this was a documentary. <laughs> No, no, it's a film. It's a oh, film. it's a film. It's a oh, okay. beautiful I, film. I thought right? it was a documentary. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not a yeah. true story, right? Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's a film, but it's a yeah. fantastic premise, okay? Yeah. And so he's like, sort of grateful to Allah for restoring his eyesight. Yeah. And, it, and he's just seeing all this stuff and he's writing all this poetry, amazing things. And he comes back and then he meets all these students and all these people's voices he's heard all his life and he's kissing their hands and all this so stuff. Yeah. A, a little while passes. He starts to realize his wife's not as pretty as the other girl. I was just about to say, right? I was about to say, that's going to be the biggest question mark, right? Yeah. And so suddenly, what was a blessing turns, begins to slowly turn into... Sour. Yeah. That's an amazing movie. Yeah. That is yeah. an amazing twist because at the beginning, it's like, okay, it's nice, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but now that you bring a twist into it, it changes everything. Well, it just goes to show when you, do you feel sorry for someone who's blind? Do you think that they're inflicted by Allah? Do you think actually perhaps Allah knows best what's right for everybody? Who's, what's That's in true. people's soul? We, you know, but it's, there's a thousand questions that come out of it from the point yeah. of view of moral philosophy or just simply just understanding human nature, you know? And uh, it, so there's, but there's not one, there's like 10 of these. And in Iran, they actually have a conscious, when they have their film awards, they have a spiritual cinema section, you know? Yeah. And it's very sophisticated. It's incredibly sophisticated. Um, there's a, you know, that, that's, that's really good. I didn't realize that. And you have these subtitled movies on there. Mm, yeah. 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 It just reminded me of a joke. I know this is a bit off the silly, it's on the silly topic, but there was a guy who took his wife in to get her eye checked and uh, uh, eye surgery like this. And then after a while, they're about to get a divorce. So and he's like, Every, ever since we uh, you know, did this eye uh, surgery, you know, everything changed. So he goes to the doctor and um, so what did you do, right? And he said, mm -hmm. no, no, just fix your wife's eyes, right? <laughs> she can see you now, right? <laughs> so that's why she wants to get the divorce. But, and he reminded me of that when you said that about that movie. Yeah. But it is a very thoughtful movie though about yeah. Yeah. Uh, the idea of blessings and what blessing mm. you think is really great turns out to be a disaster. Yes. Right? You're going to lose yeah. something for every blessing. It's almost yeah. like you ever heard of this. Do you have something called salary cap? In, yeah, absolutely. In, yeah. Right. Salary yeah. cap for sports. Yeah. When you have a salary cap, when you, when you want to bring on a great player, mm. a great player has got to go from your team because there's not yeah. enough money to go around. So sometimes blessings are salary capped and you yeah. gain your eyesight, yeah. but you're going to lose your wife. Right. Yeah. So, well, it's also this idea of sugar. What do you give sugar for? Yeah. And how quickly you can, your heart can turn, you know? Yeah. And uh, so it's, but, but there's many films like that in the Iranian section, you know, and we, we keep finding more and more. And of course, the tragedy is when we meet these guys, they say, look, not many people want to watch this. And I'm thinking, yeah. look, over here is a group of people who their whole lives are about this stuff. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm talking about our community. People are on the path. They're very consciously on a the path. They want to grow. They want to learn. And if I say to them, hey, come watch these films. And they're like, 
cinema's haram. Oh, come on, man. Stop. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you know that I did actually... I'm not bringing you any haram. I'm bringing you goodness. You know, come on. <laughs> I watched an amazing movie uh, that actually brought tears to my eyes at one point of it because it was amazing. It was about... It was an Iranian subtitled movie. I don't know mm. how I got around to, to watching this. Yeah. Because like you said, it's not an acquired taste to watch Iranian subtitle. Any sub- I don't watch any subtitled movies except Air to Roll, which I saw in uh, 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 like a season of it. And so this one was about the homeless in Iran yeah. and, how, and Tehran and how they live. And there was one scene that was so amazing where they ended up becoming like a group in the wintertime. They need to become a group because it's yeah. so cold. They live under the bridge. They mm. make this fire. And some of them had hopes. And one of them, he's a homeless guy under the bridge. He had a family, right? And he yeah. had like three bad turns happen and he's homeless two years later, right? Wow. So it's like, yeah. it chases the origin. And so it's, it had these, these, um, these cases. And at one point, a number of them had some hopes. Mm. And all of a sudden, their hopes were dashed all in one night. They're so depressed. And then at some point, someone starts singing a song. Yeah. And then they just start. It's almost as if, you know, when you're at your darkest moment, Allah comes with something to lift your mm. spirits. They start singing a song and they start, you know, going around the fire and lift all of a sudden it's like out of nowhere spirits rose up i found that scene was like so amazing so thoughtful the scene right of how allah ta'ala lifts people up you know at their darkest moments but anyway we've gone on so a really long time Mm. Uh, but this was a great discussion because like i said earlier i love uh the arts only when the arts meet practical life and i think that alchemia does uh you know it's really hitting that zone Thank and you. we had a lot of action on the uh, uh, Twitter and Facebook um, posts just about it, just mentioning it. I think people I didn't th- exist. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Gillan posted about it and that also, he said to me, I, I haven't seen this many likes, right? You know, it, it's had a big response. I think what it is, is uh, one, it's a pressing issue. Okay. Yeah. But who should deal with it? Okay, so should it be the responsibility of the ulama? Well, not really. It's not their field as such. Okay, um, and then secondly, we don't have many people who have gone into this field. Even when I started, I had some of my dad's friends telling me, "Like, bring, I'm bringing shame on the family." You know, it was that kind of thing. So that's changed. Alhamdulillah, I, now people are not as embarrassed about or or feel that it's a wrong thing to do. Uh, but it's like what you're saying, the 10,000 hours. I mean, you know, there's a lot of white in my beard. So mm-hmm. you have to have put that 10,000 hours in before you can have some mastery of what you're doing. So I feel my job is to teach people, is to support people, is to do that. And, but the biggest thing is to create this economic system that allows them to be patronized so that there's some justice for them and that they, they're encouraged to kind of pursue this. Uh, it gives us voice. It gives us presence in the community. Yeah. Um, there is an incredible goodness in both America and the US. I, I love my country. I love people who say, what's your identity? I'm like, I'm 100% Pakistani. I'm 100% British. I'm 100% Muslim. That's 300%. Okay. Yeah. And I love all of it. Okay. So I own all of that. And I think that's what we're constantly looking to build those bridges. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, we just got going and it's the internet. Sometimes something small just goes bang and it, yeah. it, it's like everybody has it and everybody is, it's, it's the new thing and people want it. So it's, that's still there for us. Um, we are, everybody here has made huge sacrifices to work on the project, you know, yeah. 
Um, and and no, nobody is really interested in uh, the economic uh, yeah. benefit to themselves personally. I don't think that, that 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 is not a motivation for anybody on this project. I think that, uh, like my closing remark is, subhanAllah, the reason that it's become so accepted is that every Muslim parent out there is picking their battles. Every Muslim individual is picking mm. their battles now. Yeah. There was a time in the 90s, you remember Sheikh Hamza went on against TV, right? And I thought yeah. it was great. I stopped watching TV. All yeah. of a sudden, real life opened up. I would read. I started to go places. I started to do things. And it real things happened, right? Because TV was one thing. Mm. There was no other. There was not a laundry list of no's, right? Yeah. Today, any Muslim household is thinking of, I'm talking about religious practicing Muslim households. They're thinking of, what's the right thing to do? We got to yeah. make sure our kids don't see pornography. Mm. Got to make sure our kids don't get, uh, don't become tolerant of what is forbidden of sexuality and identities related to sexuality and gender identities, right? Yeah. Once you tick off five, six no's, like we got to make sure this, this, this doesn't happen. You cannot, you put so much pressure on a person. Now you're going to say, don't watch sports. Yeah. Now you're going to say, don't watch like a, a, like a movie that's halal, right? Yeah. You, I already said no to seven things, right? I don't want you having an iPhone in your room at midnight yeah. talking. Who are you? Who are you talking to, right? And what are you going on? Yeah. So I've said no to so my, many. My my house, it's like the, those Tom and Jerry cartoons. Remember those old Tom and the cat and the mouse chasing? Oh each my other. gosh! So yeah. I shut the television and then I look around and they're on the tablet. I put the tablet exactly. away and then I found a phone. You put the phone away. And it comes <laughs> exactly. Back you just know chasing the, uh, around the house. You know. <laughs> yeah. In the in the games that <laughs> yeah. mouse that pops up and you exactly yeah whack a mole yeah whack a mole. How yeah. many how many no's am I gonna say? Yeah. Where their nerves are shot because already. Yeah. I've said no to five things that and then else and then the you're the trope of the Muslim dad, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. like haram. You know what we end up doing to, to combat that is to say yeah. is to offer it. Yeah, trade off. I, ha you have, I have to offer yeah. something instead of them saying, "Okay, how about this? No. How about this? Yeah. No. How about this? Yeah. No." So I'm gonna be proactive by saying, yeah. "Listen, I got something for you. You're gonna really gonna like this." Before they come to me, I come to them yeah. and say, look what I got for you. And, you know, the, we're not going to do X, Y, and Z, but I'm giving yeah. um, but I got something better, which is A, B, and C. And that mm. psychologically, it removes this concept of every time I say something, it's a no. Yeah. Like, I don't want that. I want to be the one who brings it forward. So I'm actually promoting stuff that for psychologically, that idea of you, every time I say something, you say no is gone because I'm actually yeah. the one bringing it. Right. Yeah. And so that helps bring a balance and it gives psychological health. In my opinion, it's mm. something that the Mashiach from the fifties in Egypt, sixties, seventies, you know, they, to them, someone who went to the cinema is a facet, right? Wow. But think yeah. about it. That made sense for in their world. You yeah. didn't have to do that. Yeah. Right. You yeah, did not exactly. have to do that in their, in their world. There was no competition. Yeah. There was no 99 mm. out of a hundred kids are doing all these things and you're the one mm. kid left out. It wasn't like that. So it made sense for them. But for us, it's yeah. almost like I'm here bringing you mm. something like Alchemia, right? And I want you to see it and be excited about it uh, because in the back of my mind, I know that I'm also <clears throat> saying no to a, yeah. a laundry list of things, right? So You know what? You, I'm feeling very humble now because um, this is very moving. I mean, look, every third person I talk to says, 
where's the kids content mm. and um I'm, I'm embarrassed i'm embarrassed because the quality is very low mm. yeah I, I mean one thing is we're not we're not just like loading this up with any old anything you know yeah. it's it's look it's not a muslim youtube or we, yeah. we, there, there are standards and, and I have some professional pride. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of have a benchmark of what, what is acceptable. And I know, I know it's scarce. We we're hunting for diamond. You know, there's, there's so little has been made. Okay. So little has actually been made that is, that is good and works for us, whatever. And when it comes to the area of children's content, the majority of it has come from the Middle East, and unfortunately, it's it doesn't culturally work. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, I'm being polite. I mean, even the animation, the style of drawing. I mean, you you you're a design fan. You get it, okay? Yeah. The aesthetics are all wrong, and I can tell you something. People say it doesn't matter. It's, it's something for the children, and it's like, yeah, you, my kids would tear this to pieces. It would be negative. <laughs> they're, they're gonna be like, what the heck? What's this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were, they're watching Nickelodeon. They're watching pretty kind of wacky stuff, and they'll yeah. be like, no way, are we watching this? Right? Yeah. They're not. It's not going to cut. So, but that. But I know it's. I know we can do this. I know yeah. we can do this. And what's the barrier? It's just money. It's just money. And I make the word that somewhere the connection comes, and we can do it because. Um, I've had people come to me, some, you know, I've had 70, 70 year old guys come to me and said, oh, Brother Naveed, I've made this, you know, we've animated this cartoon, it's for Muslim children, it's for this. And I'm like, why did you not hire some 15 year old? I mean, <laughs> why, who did you get to make this, right? I mean, and it's like all that money's been wasted. And I used to feel that way about the Dawa libraries I used to go into. And uh -huh. it's like, oh man, all these books are going to get pulped. Oh and they're just going to end up in the bin and all the money yeah. that's gone into making all these and no one's read them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like nobody, and people just looked at the color of the design the of the cover and, that and that it. stopped them from even reading the I book. Know. I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, please, you know? So yeah. in that way, I just know that there are some super cool 20 year olds. I follow them on Instagram. They do manga. They do Muslim manga. They wear headscarves themselves. They totally get it. Right. Yeah. I'm 53. They're tw they're closer to your kids than we are, right? Yeah. They just yeah. totally get it. My job is to support them. Yeah, it's just to support them and let them do it. You know, it's and and that okay. Now that's going to the top of my list. It has to be. Yeah, has to be because I know. I I mean, I'm in the same boat. I have young kids, and um, I know, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. It's, yeah, it's something that we have to do. Yeah. And I, I've seen, I've listened to all the Sheikh Hamza's um, uh, lectures on Disney and all of the the kind of you know all of those narratives that are in there you know yeah. I mean, we have we have a series on Salafi being <sighs> man the hero has blue eyes wow and white skin <laughs> oh, wow. and the bad guys yeah big noses and uh -huh. yeah yeah you know yeah should i have that on the platform i don't really want it but yeah there's nothing else yeah, I mean, and the quality of the animation is okay. You know, it's good, right? Yeah. But I mean, talk about self hatred. It's I just, know. Yeah. It's not, and not even having an awareness that it's, it's like you're that. doing this. And so these are the, and you know, sometimes I can have these conversations with people who produce, they'll have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, but it's about Muslims. It's about Salahuddin. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. It was a Kurd, <laughs> not Swedish, right? Yeah, exactly. Got that so historical we, element. Yeah, but but we're t teaching our kids this, you know, dark skin, big nose equals bad, and yeah. blue eyes, and you know, anyway. 
the, uh, we know what we, we we're, we're woke enough to know what we need to do <laughs> you yeah. know um we just we just have to find a way to make it happen your journey is going to be really fun to watch and i uh i, I pay attention every couple uh of uh weeks or something uh, i get a message from masood and i uh i keep in touch so this journey is going to be fun to watch i'm going to subscribe myself uh because i think my kids will really benefit and i will myself well, there are certain documentaries i myself want to watch uh so thank you so much for coming on we've held you for now two hours no no I, I i i love to speak so i probably yeah. kept you <laughs> not at all not at all it was a great episode uh, great conversation, and you know, hopefully, maybe in a, some period of time when things uh, advance and develop, we'll do this again, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. Thank you so much. My, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk wa alasr. Inna insana la fi khusr illa ladina amanu wa amilu salihat. Wa tawasu bil haq. Wa tawasu bil sabr. Wassalamu alaikum. Must, 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 must